listen, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Where are we Thursday? Oh, yes, Thursday. I'm off to, to hang out with some nudists later on. Yeah, I am. I'm not taking my clothes off. I, I, I kind of toyed with the idea. Uh, and then just this morning I had it. It was too cold. It was too cold. I thought, no, I'm not going to eat it. Anyway, we'll talk about that a bit later on. Uh, maybe. Lots coming up on the show this morning. And as always, would love to get your opinions on things. I'll give you the contact details in a bit. Have a listen and see if anything grabs your fancy. Teachers are being cyber-bullied by children, and get this, and their parents. We speak to the National Union of Teachers in Luton, who say pupils have been suspended. The fire at the recycling plant in St Albans will continue for at least another week. That's what they say. I reckon it's going to be months. How's it affecting you? Well, we've sent our reporter Justin Dealey out there to have a look. And do you suffer from back pain? I do. Well, it could all be in your mind, apparently. It's not. It's in my back. I'll meet the Bromham's physiotherapist who says emotional tension could be at the root of your problems. It's not. It's my back. If you want to get in touch, you go to the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash bbc3cr. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR, or, this is the best way to do it, of course, uh, is give me a phone call, 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, it's claimed that more teachers are reporting that they're being cyber-bullied. A helpline set up for people who work with children has told the BBC around, of it th- around a third of its calls are about bullying and teachers are being targeted, not just by students. This is the amazing bit, but by parents as well. Well, the National Union of Teachers in Luton say pupils have been suspended for abusing a teacher. Dave Mingate is the local representative from the association. He joins me in the studio now. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, and what a morning it is today. Well, can I just say, um, <laughs> I turned on my phone this morning and looked at Twitter, and I was bombarded with lots of grumpy tweets from you saying, I've got to be in at six o'clock! <laughs> Come on, but you're what's wrong with this country, for goodness That's sakes. That's right, it's, it's all my fault. The whole, the whole country's gone to dog business, isn't it? The, the bullying teachers uh, in Bedfordshire... Listen, when I was a kid growing up, as I was saying off air, I did some things I'm not particularly proud of, and th- there, was, there was one teacher in particular who um, didn't have a very good grasp of the class, and we kind of did things that, that were perhaps particularly naughty. I'd imagine that carries on, but now it's bigger, isn't it? Because you've got Facebook, and you've got Twitter, and you've got YouTube, so I'm guessing... Kids are what filming stuff in class and putting it up on the internet somewhere. Yeah, we, we get all, we get all sorts of, of accusations, all sorts of, of incidents happening. Uh, be it for email, because teachers obviously have email contact with their pupils. It's all done. Hang on, uh, they, sorry, the, the kids email the teachers. Well, yeah, we've had. Does that happen? Of course it does. Well, if, if so you're old. Well, obviously, I'm not talking about personally myself. I'm talking about sort of workplace monitoring. Yeah, emails, of course. Children email homework in, but of course, yeah, children have access to that media. Some children do email in abusive comments to their teachers. They email their homework in. I'm so old. I'm. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, your dog can't eat your emails, Ian. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Yes, I suppose so. And, and is it a big problem in Bedfordshire? Is, is there? Is there some I wouldn't say. Seen... I wouldn't say it's a big problem, but I would say it's a problem when you look at a national picture. Yeah. everything is, always looks worse than it is. But it, there is there is a, a problem. Does exist? Give yeah. us give some examples of things that, that, that have happened. Well, we we get um, homophobic bullying. It's quite. Um, it's something that happens quite a lot. Against teachers? Against teachers. We get racist incidents against teachers. Wow. Um, 
just just be, it's all, all comes down to, to lack of understanding and um sometimes the lack of respect and please don't say bring back the cane because bring back the cane will not solve society's problems dave be honest there must be times though when you you want to wallop one of them don't you absolutely not well done that's the correct absolutely answer not. that's the you've passed, passed the test. That test absolutely not uh, kids kids have been suspended have they for this yeah if if, if uh Generally, if there's an incident in a school and a child is uh, uh, abusing, bullying, harassing a teacher, then often that child can be suspended. Do we uh, any idea how many? No. Mm. I don't have access to those sort of things. And parents. This is the thing that surprised me, because kids, you know, they look for weaknesses and vulnerabilities, but parents are getting in on this as well, are they? Well, you're a parent, aren't you, Ian? Are you behind all this? Uh, it's, not, it's nothing to do with me. <laughs> nothing, listen, and, and, and I'm sure Pass I will... Pass the blame back. No, I, I, my, my little boy's only three, but I'm sure at some point I will have issues with teachers, and I, we will, they will be discussed, but I wouldn't think of bullying them. That seems incredibly inappropriate. Well... As we said before, most, everyone believes they're, they're an expert on education. Everyone yeah. has a view on education and the, the sort of education a child should be receiving. And if they're not happy, they take out their frustrations in many, many ways. Um, before, it used to be stopping someone in the supermarket, stopping someone in the street. Um, and, of course, you don't know where your local teacher lives, but you could find your local teacher on, on Facebook, for example, or yeah. Twitter, or you could send them an email. Yeah, there's much more many more ways to interact with people now and of course that gets abused when i was a kid i remember it was the weirdest thing in the world on a saturday if you were, were in town and you saw one of your teachers in the supermarket it, it's, a, it's a strange thing where people yeah. don't actually believe we do exist outside of school you're real people <laughs> we are real people <laughs> how can you tackle a problem like this it's your, it's like everything it's your, you, you have to do it for education and you have to you have to talk to parents and involve them in their child's education mm. a lot more bring them into the school find out what's going on in your in your child's classroom uh, most teachers operate an open door policy where you can they're happy to talk to the parents um, if it's issues around homophobia or around racist incidents there are organizations and and courses that schools can run uh, to educate parents so actually it's fine your, your teacher might be gay that's fine uh, you, you mentioned the homophobia and the racism. Do, do, how do you, do you drag the kids into these classes and the, the educate that actually it's okay to be different? How how can you tackle something as deep rooted as that? You certainly don't, don't say you drag a child into a class, but as part of a wider, broader curriculum, um, I've, I've come on 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 the show before or uh, other shows on the radio talking about uh, show races and the red card. Mm. There are organisations that will that make it more interesting. So show races and the red card do it through football. They'll get big football stars in, um, and they'll talk about why racism isn't a problem just because someone's got a different colour skin. That's all right. Yeah, mm. just because someone doesn't believe in God, they believe believe it in Allah or they believe um or they believe in any in any deity at all that's fine it doesn't make them a bad teacher doesn't make them a bad person they just have different beliefs they just look a little bit different mm. and that's fine we're all human beings and there are ways that an organization that do it in a much more creative way than dragging someone in and saying stop bullying these people okay listen just going off on a slight tangent we're talking later on about a story about a 13 year old boy from, I don't know if you've heard this, from Dunstable, who, who I don't know how a 13-year-old boy is growing a moustache, but he is, uh, for Movember. But the school have forbidden him for growing this moustache for charity. How strict should a school be about kids' appearances? If a kid's growing a moustache, I think it's, I'm like you, quite amazed a 13-year-old can grow a moustache. I did Movember last year and my, uh, my efforts were quite pitiful at the end of the month to, you know, my wife laughing. Um, but... 
of course, schools ha- schools have to enforce discipline. Schools have to enforce a dress code, but there's always got room for flexibility. And a, a 13 year old boy or a 15, 16 year old boy, however old they may be, they want to raise a little bit of money for charity, burgering a moustache. I think they should let him. So a little bit of flexibility. A little bit of flexibility, a little bit of give and take. Dave, it's always lovely to see you. I can enjoy reading your tweets about what I've been wearing (laughs) later on in the day. Thank you very much. It's Dave Minge. He's the local representative uh, from the National Union of Teachers. 08459 455 555. Lots coming up in the show. We'll speak to you after this, Stevie Wonder. What do you think about a kid, 13 years old? We'll speak to the major on. Growing a moustache for November, the school said, "Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh, I don't think so. Shave that off, sunshine. There's nothing wrong with that, is there? Is it really so offensive for a a young man to be growing a moustache to raise money for charity? Surely that's an excellent example to be setting, isn't it? I've just looked at the picture of Daniel Craig. Don't ask me why. He's a very handsome man. I like to look at handsome men while I'm I'm playing the records. He looks a lot like Jeremy Kyle. He does. He really looks like Jeremy Kyle. How have I never noticed this before? They're virtually the same man. 08459 455 555. Not necessarily to call in and go, oh, actually, yes, they do look alike. You can if you want. As always on this show, you can call in about any of the the stuff that we're talking about, or you can um, call in about stuff that you think we should be talking about. Um, We will be talking about back pain later on. I do suffer from back pain. I know some of you do too as well. And it's horrible, isn't it? Mine's kind of all right at the moment. Lower back pain. Oh, lower back pain. It's all right at the moment. It's not so bad. I'm more worried about my gout. But that's by the by. But we've got an expert coming on who thinks a lot of it... Don't laugh at my gout. I may have gout. It's very painful. Painful thumb and a painful toe. That's gout, isn't it? Yes, I think so. Um, I I googled it. Uh, But we've got an expert coming on who seems to think that a lot of back pain is in the mind. It's all in the mind. I, I would say it's more in the back. Let's see what he says. 08459 455 555. And, and how strict should schools be about kids' appearance? What, was it, what were your th- the regulations at school? Maybe you've got kids or grandkids that go to school now. Are there, is the uniform policy a bit too strict, do you think? I do feel for this 13-year-old lad that was growing moustache from November. And the school went, oh, I think you're going to have to stop that. You're going to have to shave that off. I remember uh, my friend Michael Hall at school had a mullet, like proper mullet, yeah, proper full-on. And they said, you've got to cut that. You, you, you cannot come to school like that. Rightfully so, because it was a mullet. And so what he did was he went and just got the top bit cut even shorter and left the back bit. So it suddenly became a super mullet. Let's just say Mrs Payne, the headmistress, was not happy about that resolution. She did not think that was a good compromise. He had to get it all chopped off. Now, moving on, having a stroke, as we all know, can of course be life-threatening, but as medicine has improved, many people recover to quite some extent. Now stroke survivors in Bedford are being offered a free 10-week programme of one-to-one gym sessions to help them get better. BBC Three Counties reporter Toby Friedner has been finding out more. So we're going to go slowly down, okay, get in as close to the bench as you can, and then stand up for me. Uh, my name's Nathan, I'm a fitness trainer at Images at Robinson Pool. Uh, I'm a qualified Arnie instructor and I work with uh, stroke, uh, stroke patients that have uh, come to us to, to help for, uh, rehabilitate. 
What's an Arnie instructor? Arnie is uh, Action for Rehabilitation from Neurological Injury. Um, and it basically is a course set out by a man called Tom Bolchin, uh, who actually suffered a stroke himself and uh, basically wanted to help people to re- rehabilitate from stroke. Uh, how does it differ from some of the other personal training stuff you might do? Um, I mean, a lot of the, the other personal training stuff you could do would be to do with maybe people getting stronger or faster, where this is more to do with people getting back into everyday kind of life um, so training to get more function in the hand, maybe the hand might be a little bit tight or weak. So it's really about trying to get people to back to doing everyday life things that they uh, would have done before. Right, now who have we got here? What's your name, Adam? Ellie Maud. Hello, Ellie. Nice to see you. Um, when did you have your stroke? Uh, nearly eight years ago. How's your recovery going? Uh, well, it's better now. What do you get out of this then? Why is it better now? Well, I get to lose weight and tone up. And well, do you want to show me some of the exercises that you do? What sort of things do you do? So sometimes, like the, the brain will be trying to tell the hand to open, but obviously the function's not happening. So what we try and do is just try and ease the hand open. Uh, we can do stuff like PNF stretching, which is where I'll hold Ellie's hand open and she tries to close it, which gives kind of uh, the nerves down the arm will kind of start connecting, and hopefully we start to get more strength and function through the hand. Go on, straight up. That's it. Right, now this is Vince. Vince, you're another trainer here at uh, Images at Robinson Paul. Um, tell me about the machine that we're looking at in front of us. Um, this is called a power plate. Um, and what it does is it enhances the um, force of what we call ground reaction force. So what Stuart's feet feel are now enhanced by the power plate. The power plate itself moves up and down 50 times a second. So increasing that gives him more nervous stimulation which then helps connect the brain with the muscles that he's working on and then we'll start there okay so that's it now on this is it vibrating through the legs yeah uh, as the muscles are now stretching they're actually feeling that contraction 50 times more than they would on the floor how does that feel to you Stuart? yeah it's, it's a strange sensation but it works because <laughs> i've done it before so it works. <laughs> Later on, we'll hear from a stroke survivor who's been helped by these gym sessions. Oh, come on, how good is that first thing in the morning? That'll wake you up. I know, it's m- the weather's miserable. Foggy? Or is it misty? What's the difference between fog and mist? Is there a difference? I've got no idea. There's got to be some sort of difference, hasn't there? Otherwise, they wouldn't, there would just be one word. What's it? Can someone give me a call? This is, forget everything else. This is the important thing today. What's the difference between fog and mist? 08459 455 555. There has to be some... I, was, I spent the majority of this morning driving along wondering what it was. I know that's how, that's how sad my, my, uh, my life actually is. I spent uh, 40 minutes in the car thinking, fog or mist? Hmm, which is which? And that's your latest news and sports. I will try harder at seven. Please do. Text 81333. Start your message with 3CR. Text charged at the standard network rate. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Coming up on the show in the next half an hour or so, the large fire at Apspond Lane in St Albans continues. Firefighters say they're close to exhausting nearby open water supplies and instead will have to rely on the water mains. Our reporter Justin Dealey is there and we'll speak to him shortly. And back pain could all be in your mind, according to a physiotherapist from Bromham. I was reading about this yesterday and this morning and there's kind of a growing school of thought that says this is the case. I don't know if I agree with that. As, as one 
tweeter has uh, has said to me, um, Peter Peter Harness. No, it's not in your mind. It's in your back. Have you ever seen this? Oh, I do apologise. <laughs> that was. Um, well, can we get that queued up again? I will tell you why. Because that was a cracking bit of radio from yesterday's um, JVS show. If you if you weren't listening to JVS yesterday, shame on you. There were some there were some amazing bits of radio, um, and there was one bit in particular that was just. Oh, it was very, very uncomfortable. It's, it's all to do with Nadine Doris. She's in I'm a Celebrity. I think we know that. And I don't know if you saw it last night. Comic Brian Conley. Oh, he's a comic. Has admitted he's less than entertained by mid-beds MP Nadine Doris's antics in the jungles. She's already upset Made in Chelsea star Hugo Taylor, who told boxer David Hay that he nearly blew his lid after a row over the cooking. Yeah. Uh, Conley also sounded off about uh, Nadine, saying, always within the group, always within the group. Is that how he talks? I can't remember. Always within the group. There is the odd certain person who irritates you. It's early days, but we're all aware that Nadine is an MP, and if she starts getting on her soapbox whilst we're eating our chickpeas, we'll have to kick them away from her. Well, yesterday, Jonathan Vernon-Smith uh, took his show to Shefford, and it was, it, there were some cracking moments in it. Uh, and he was there to try and help some of Nadine Doris's constituents. He was joined by Karen in Harley- Harlington. Well, then Parliamentary Secretary William came out, worked, she, he works with Nadine Doris, came out to speak to JVS. It was one of the most fascinating and uncomfortable bits of radio I've heard in a long time. This is what happened. Have you ever seen this lady? Uh, no, I haven't. This is Karen in Harlington. She's been writing to Nadine Dorries and no one's responding to her. Why not? Uh, could I firstly ask, what address have you been writing to her at? Um, I have been sending it to London. Um, this is to by, the, by post, is this? I have been communicating or? with Nadine since 2004 when I had an operation that was done wrong. Um, and she has all my documents. Um, the sec- her secretary has all the documents. I'm still battling with the benefit system and at the moment I'm now being investigated for fraud, which I have not done. The proof is there. The evidence has been there, and I'm still being investigated and being told it's being sorted out. It's when was the last time you wrote to Nadine and she hasn't responded? A month ago. What, why would that be? I, I was told earlier that, that you and you are her, you, you're her parliamentary assistant, you're dealing with, with all of her constituents' problems at the moment. Why, why is that that Karen would not have been responded to? I do not know. I do not recall seeing this letter. I mean, all I can say is that we will look into this. Uh, I haven't seen the letter. If we don't see the letter, we can't respond to it. What do you think of the fact that she's left you to, in effect, do her job while she's in the jungle, eating bits of animals and, and, and being buried alive? I would certainly not say that she has left me doing her job. She has left me doing my job, which is exactly the same as I always do. So who's do. doing her job, then? I am doing my job, which is looking after the constituents. And who's doing her job? I'm not going no to answer that. Nobody's doing her job because she's in the jungle. Nobody is the MP for Mid-Bedfordshire. Nadine Dorries is the min- MP for Mid-Bedfordshire. No, she's not. She's in the jungle mucking around and raising her profile and getting paid £40,000. So who is doing her job? Yeah, that went out on the radio. <laughs> How uncomfortable was that? That was doing the rounds all over the internet yesterday. They got picked up and ran with. And I've almost forgiven Jonathan for being miserable and grumpy about those excellent birthday presents I gave him. Almost. That almost makes up for it. It was a cracking listen. He'll be in uh, later on. We can ask him about that. Difference between fog and mist. Lucy from Sundon Park. Fog comes down and mist rises up. Is it as, is it, where does mist rise up from? 
The ground? That's insane! Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Now, the large fire at Apps Pond Lane in St Albans continues. Firefighters are close to exhausting nearby open water supplies and instead will have to rely on the water mains. A conservative estimate is that this incident will still be ongoing a week from now. I tell you what, that fire will be going after Christmas. It's my opinion. But if, you, if you've seen it, they won't get that out before Christmas. Well, BBC Three Counties uh, reporter and our fire correspondent Justin Dealey is there now. Justin, what's the latest? Well, Ian, it's exactly the same as when we arrived on Monday morning. People driving up and down the M1 uh, maybe seeing this for the first time. It's Apspon Lane in St Albans. Can I tell you an interesting thing I noticed driving home yesterday? This mm. is why the traffic, I think, is moving southbound. You can't see it when you go southbound. No. Because it's shielded by all the trees, so you don't. it's only when you're coming up the M1 that you can, you can actually spot it. Well, it's slightly better... Um, than the view that we got on Sunday. But, I mean, traffic in the evening, some people, of course, when it gets dark, you can definitely see it. Yep. Uh, some people do slow down. Yep. 10,000 tonnes of recycled timber is still alight. Let's find out the latest. Joining me live here in our radio car is Bob Williams from Hearts Fire and Rescue. Bob, welcome to the programme. We're hearing that the wind direction has changed. It's causing you a few problems. Is that the case? Uh, the wind direction has changed slightly, Justin, uh, but there's no major problems. Uh, we're still containing the fire, and uh, we're making small ma- amount of progress at the moment. And what's the situation with the local water supply? Because on Tuesday, I spoke with somebody who had no water. They weren't sure when it was coming back on. You're using that water to fight the fire. So, so what's the situation with the water supply? Uh, with respect to the water supply, we're actually uh, recycling a lot of the water now, and particularly during peak periods, uh, we are cutting down on the number of jets we're using, and uh, I believe bottled water, and we're working very closely with Affinity Water to uh, come to a successful conclusion. Now, talking about a successful conclusion, uh, day five, it still looks like a giant bonfire, 30-foot flames. When do you hope this fire might be put out here? Well, crews will still be here for a few more days. Uh, They're working under very arduous conditions. Uh, They're working very hard, and we are rotating the crews at five-hourly shifts at the moment. But some people may say, why can't you just put this fire out? Put this in layman's terms. Why is it taking so long? Well, we do have poor water supplies, which is one of the main problems. But what we're doing is we're actually containing it, we're letting it burn out, and we're stopping it spreading. It is an incredible sight because you've got this recycling plant, you've got the fire in the middle, all around the fire, there's still these mounds of wood. That's your job to protect that, because if the whole lot goes up, you could be here for for probably a year. Well, I I can't comment on how long we'll actually be here, but crews will be on site for for some time yet, but uh, we're happy with the progress that we're making. And with the wind potentially changing throughout the day, could the motorway be closed? You probably can't answer that question, but I'll put it to you anyway. As you said, I can't particularly answer that question. We're just doing our best. We're working very hard with the environmental agency and particularly with the highways agency as well. And communication is the key and we're, we're working as a, as a good uh, bit of partnership working at the moment. So. I suppose that one bit of good news is, uh, as we look along this road here, it was closed the other day. Uh, one of the main roads from Hemel to St Albans, the A4147, that's back reopened. That's a good thing, isn't it? That's a great thing. Yes, yeah. every, you know, like I say, it's people's safety. Um, if the highways agency deem it um, dangerous to drive 
during smoky conditions. I mean, it's foggy out there at the moment, but people are travelling quite well at the moment. Mm. So, And just lastly, quite briefly on this, um, a word on your colleagues, because since the early hours of Sunday morning, they have been working incredibly hard, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, Hertfordshire Fire and Rescue Service are, are, are working immensely hard um, on the front line. Um, the guys are working in, in extremely hot conditions and uh, every five hours we're rotating crews. At the moment we've, we've scaled it down a little bit. We've got three crews there at the moment from Borenwood, Potter's Bar and Hemel Hempstead. Really appreciate your time. Thank you very much indeed. That's uh, Bob Williams joining us live here in our radio car from Hearts Fire and Rescue. Again, Ian, as I look to my left-hand side, those flames are still raging. Uh, they have been since the early hours of Sunday, and still we don't know an exact date as to when this fire is going to be put out. But I can tell you that all of the officers here, they are working incredibly hard. They're doing a cracking job, as are you, Justin. Thank you very much. Morning, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, if you're anything like me, you might suffer from back pain. I get it. I get it a fair bit. I'm all right today, actually. It comes and goes. Apparently, this, is this right, 80% of us get back pain? And yet it's not just physical problems that can cause backache, but emotional tension. That's according to a physiotherapist from Bromham. He's uh, here to join me now. Uh, Nick Sinfield, good morning, Nick. Good morning. Now, th- 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 what is this? You, you, back pain is all in the mind. That's not exactly what I'm saying. Um, obviously, back pain affects all of us very differently. Uh, for lots of us, it's very physical. So mm. we pull muscles, we sprain ligaments. It affects us in different ways. But there are people who back pain doesn't resolve. And then from that, their behavior will change. And yep. then they will, they will stiffen up. And, be- and then from that, uh, they become more anxious and stressful about their pain. So then, then, they, then they, they then get stuck in a vicious circle of not exercising and then affecting their behavior, which then obviously means that their, their, their pain then becomes chronic. So you're not saying the sensationalist all back pain comes from the mind. You're saying that, it, it, that the, the, the mind can help sustain these problems. Exactly, yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying, yeah. So how... Because, listen, you know how hard it is to control the mind. Don't mm. think of an elephant. You're thinking mm. of an elephant. How do, we contr- how do we stop the emotional tension continuing? What can we do? From that, right, well, we need to change our behaviour. We need to think differently about how about our back pain we need to start thinking that we need to get active our back is made to move it's made to bend and to twist we're supposed to use our muscles and so then if we don't use them they're going to stiffen up and tighten up and tense up but if you're back i get lower back pain lower right if you're interested i don't know if you can do anything about it uh and when i get it all i want to do i just want to lie on the floor that's it i don't i don't want to move i can't pick the kids up i can't go out for a walk i just want to lie on the floor Mm. is that bad if you've just injured your back, it's just sort of locked up, then you will need to take some painkillers, see your GP, and then have a little a little period of rest. Yeah. But then after that, you need to get moving. Right. So then you've got to get moving, and then you're exercising and short walks, uh, stretch your back from from that. So that that's that's the best way to to, to manage your back if if it's very if it's painful. Okay. And the, what what tricks can we do in our mind to get us out of that? Because if it is painful, you don't want to do anything that hurts, do you? Obviously. No, you don't want to do it if, it if it hurts, no. No, but it is really important to get moving with it. Um, but you have to sort of maybe think differently about your back. It, it's not a sort of a very fragile structure. It's surrounded by these really strong muscles. Uh, and so you, you've got to get them moving. You've got to get your mm. back moving. And by moving, you, you, you're then going to promote blood flow and oxygen, which is going to help the healing process. So it, are, are you suggesting that possibly seeing some sort of therapist, mm. ca- a counsellor or something, could help shift the way that you're thinking and therefore help your back? 
Yeah, there is definitely a school of thought these days that um, CBT, or cognit- cognitive behavioural therapy, is a really good way of, of helping back pain for a certain sort of group of the population. And how would that work? How does that, what, what happens? Well, for that, um, then you see, you see your GP, and the, your GP will then decide if you then do need um, C- CBT therapy. Mm. Uh, and then so then you'll be referred there, uh, where you, you'll then go through a series of treatments where they then discuss, obviously... Problems that maybe are meaning that are causing your back pain, and and and, mean, and, and then causing it not to uh, resolve. Mm. I've, I've never been to a doctor with my back pain. Mm. I, I go and see Brian. Brian's excellent. Brian's my osteopath, okay. and uh, he clicks me. You're not a fan of osteopaths, so you're, that face. No, no, are yeah, you? Because yes, some people. From, my my father-in-law's a doctor. He's a proper doctor, like a cardiologist. He's like, and, uh, and every time I say I'm going to see an osteopath, he laughs at me. He says, "Why do you want to go and see that rubbish for?" But yeah. osteopaths work, don't they? Brian yeah, works. Yeah, yeah. yeah I um, work with an osteopath. Yeah. Right. And um, they're, 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 the way they treat it is different to physiotherapists. They're probably, they probably manipulate the back mm. more and, and deal more with the joints. and sort of. But um, it's very useful if, you pay, if your joints lock up and it's yep. very acute pain, then it's very useful then. Don't doctors, from what I've heard from, from friends who suffer from back pain, the doctors, they just tend to give you some painkillers. Mm-hmm. Write a prescription. Thanks very much for coming. Mm. That's it, isn't it, really? You're gonna, all you're going to get from a GP. Um, yeah, at the moment, obviously, they're, they're probably their first port of call is, is anti-inflammatories and, and take painkillers. Um, but I, I'm, what I'm hoping for in the future is that people then start to self-manage their back better. Mm. They then to sort of take more responsibility for their back pain. And so I say, why? Well, I'm going to start, start a little, little program. I'm going to start getting more active and start stretching my back in, and, and using the muscles in, in a better way. Every morning when I get up, I sit on the edge of my bed and I give myself a little twist and I can make my back click. Mm. Is that a good thing? It, it might just mean that your back's quite stiff, yeah. and then after that, it's probably just a, just a little bit of stiffness in the joint that, that then un- releases. Should I be? I'm 39. Should I be clicking my back at 39 every um, day? If if it, I mean, it really, it really won't do any harm to your back. Okay, but if you find that it helps and it releases it and loosens the back, then that's fine. Okay, listen. What, what's the most common back injury that you have coming into? Is it is it is it tall people like me that can't bend properly? Um, no, not, not so much tall people. It's really an v- absolute mixture of people. It yeah. can be young people, it can be old people, a variety of different reasons, variety of different pains. There isn't a set cause to pain or anything like that. It's, the, it's one of the... Uh, listen, I know people, the people dying out there, but back pain, it's one of the worst pains, isn't it? It's just hideous. <laughs> yeah, it's obviously very disabling for people because it affects all our movement. Uh, uh, Nick, thank you very much for coming in. Nick Sinfield, uh, 08459 455 555. If you want to have your say on that, more of your calls after this Plan B. Well, I got a free book out of that. I'm going to be reading that tonight. Back pain is the worst. Honestly. That, um, okay, the three worst pains, and there's nothing worse than these. Back pain, standing on a plug or a piece of Lego. Oh, man! Or bashing your knee on the table. Those three are the worst pains that you could possibly, possibly face. You ever stood on a piece of Lego? Hey, Chihuahua! <laughs> oh, man! That hurts. I'm saying they're the worst pains, right? I, I, I'm going for a lumbar puncture next week, right? And I, I, I've thought nothing of it. My doctor said, oh, you should just go and have this lumbar puncture for a test. And I mentioned it to a friend. I mentioned it to, to three people, and they've all gone, ooh, you're going to be okay. I'm like, uh, yeah, I think so. Why? They go, well, it's, like, really, really painful. Is it? I'm dreading it now. Next week, I'm going to have an injection in my spine. It hadn't occurred to me. It's going to be terrifying and painful. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Thursday, the 15th of November, three minutes past seven. 
Lots coming up on the show this morning, including, as you just heard in the news there with Catherine, teachers are being cyber-bullied by kids and their parents. We find out why it's becoming an increasing problem. The big fire at the recycling plant in Hemel Hempstead continues to burn. Hearts County Council, guess what? They are finally going to come on the show to explain what they can do about the company which runs it. And a 13-year-old from Dunstable has been told he can't grow a moustache for November. How strict should schools be about children's appearance? I do like a school uniform. I didn't like it at the time. I like it now. But should they really be strict about facial hair and things like that? 08459 455 555. You can go to facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Or we post loads of pictures and videos and bits and pieces up there. Or you can text us, 81333, starting your text, 3CR. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's been claimed more teachers are reporting they are being cyber-bullied. A helpline set up for people who work with children has told the BBC around a third of its calls are about bullying and teachers are being targeted, not just by students, but by parents as well. The National Union of Teachers in Luton say pupils have been suspended for abusing a a teacher. Anne Main, MP for St Albans, used to be a teacher in a former life. She joins me now. Good morning, Anne. Good morning. When you were a teacher, uh, and I don't mean this in a rude way, cyberbullying didn't uh, exist. What effect did kids' behaviour have on teachers? Because kids can be little so-and-sos, can't they? They can be, uh, particularly if they come to school without an attitude of respect towards the teacher. And, of course, that does often come from how much input's been from the family on that and how much support you get from the family when you're dealing with an issue of a child who hasn't uh, performed in school as well as a school would like. And it's surprising how some parents aren't supportive of the measures schools take on this. Um, So, yes, they can be difficult, but I think now the anonymity of cyberbullying makes life even worse for for teachers of today. It does seem odd, doesn't it, as well, that... uh, The thing that surprised me about this is that parents are getting involved in the bullying. I'm I'm amazed that they're actually doing it, but I'm not amazed that te- the parents aren't taking it seriously, because when I used to have parents' evenings and have some difficult discussions, some of the parents felt uh, it was kind of out of order that the school was being so uh, hard on, on little Johnny or Jane. And so what, what, kind of things, what kind of things were the parents objecting about? Uh, well, I don't know about the cyberbullying. I've been told that. Um, but when you when you were doing the, the parents' evenings and the, the, the parents would come in, what kind of things were you were you saying that, that they were that the parents would take offence at? Well, that not enough effort was being put in by the pupil, or that they were rude or inattentive in class, or that oh. their best dress wasn't as would have been expected. And it's surprising how often the parents wouldn't be supportive. I mean, more than often parents are supportive, yeah, but it wasn't. It was amazing that you could actually have a parent sit in front of you and 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 undermine your role as as trying to improve their child's oh. e- efforts in life. I, as, as a kid, I remember the fear of the parents' evening when your <laughs> parents would say, "Right, we're going to go off to your school. We'll be back in a couple of." hours and you just be at home going oh no please don't let them speak to mr garner please uh, you know and they would come back and they and you know they they <laughs> there was a real fear you know they say right well you did this this and this really well but your behavior in physics was awful and that kind of that that fear was a big part of of being at school i think well, well it was and i i had a few parents that turned up well, I hadn't got appointments because they hadn't been told by little Johnny. Oh, right. <laughs> that still happens. Oh, oh, what notes, Dad? Sorry, I forgot. Yeah, but the face-to-face bit is the important part. Yeah. The 
fact that you you were scared and I was scared as well when I was going to parents' evenings as a pupil with my parent because you knew that your mum or dad or both sat opposite that parent and the truth was told. Yep. The difficulty about cyberbullying is the anonymity of, of it. Course. And that and that is where the the power has been shifted, if that's the right way of putting it, is that there are people and it's not just teaching. I was saying to your report yesterday, MPs have it and I had it been done to me by, funny enough, some students. And it is horrible that people's place of work suddenly becomes the place that they're being bullied in. And bullying isn't acceptable, whether it's of young people, it's of any worker or any teacher. And cyberbullying, I think, mm. is absolutely deplorable. It is the anonymity. I've got a fellow that emails me every few months um, saying he's going to shoot me. Now, I know, it sounds more dramatic than it, it is. I'm sure he doesn't mean it at all. But every few months I get an email saying I'm going to shoot you. OK, right. Just give us your, your name and your phone number and let's discuss this properly. Exactly. Now, we, we had um, Dave Mingay on earlier on. He re- represents the NUT in Luton. He said that racist and homophobic bullying against teachers are quite problematic. How can you begin to address those problems, Anne? Well, I think that the, you, it's, it's very, very difficult, and, and I think education has got to be behind it. People have got to realise that what they're doing isn't merely a bit of a joke, a bit of a laugh, a bit of a shared experience with their mates when they're doing it. It actually can undermine people and make them I hardly want to crawl out of bed in the morning. And I, I mean, I was a member of the NUT, funny enough, when I was a teacher, and teachers often are members of unions because unions in, that, in this role do give a good support if they are finding instances of, of accusations or inappropriate behaviour by pupils. And I think the best thing would be is to get, if you find out who's doing this, is to get them to do meet their victim so that they are aware of what it's like to, in effect, go in and see a rude message emblazoned over the staff notice board because it is the anonymity of these cowards that do it and the the publicity that they generate for what they want to say without ever being accountable for it. and on, on, on a going off on a slight tangent, as we've got you here, uh, the, the fire at the recycling centre near St Albans causing problems. We've been talking about it all week. What are your thoughts on how it's being handled? Well, there has been a similar fire, I understand, many years ago, or five or six years about ago. Six that, years ago, I think. Yeah, yeah, that went on in the same way. I've heard the accusations of what's going on, and I have been in touch with County. It wouldn't be appropriate to speculate at the moment that why why this has happened. But you know, we do need a full, in-depth investigation afterwards because. People that are asked to live near these sites, mm. whatever they are, have to be confident that they are run absolutely according to all the regulations and conditions put on them. Is, is there a suggestion that something illegal might have happened there? I don't know whether it's illegal or not that's been suggested. What's been suggested is potentially that um, the site wasn't run as it should be. And I think uh, in terms of what's on the site or quantities or so on. And so I think we need to find that all out without adding to that by, by, by worrying people. Um, as far as I know, in between times, it's operated without incidents. Incidents do happen on sites, and so therefore it may well be a perfectly innocent explanation, and it might have just been one of those unfortunate things. But we will wait for the county to let us know what's going on, because I have asked, and uh, we understand things are being looked into. But at the moment, getting the site under control and the area you know, properly back as it should be is what is the main important thing at the moment. Of course it is. And thank you very much for your time, uh, Anne Main, MP. Well, the head of the National Centre for Cyberstalking is based at the University of Bedfordshire. He's called Professor Carsten Maple. He joins me now. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. Why do you think people choose this this kind of cowardice bullying? Well, I think, uh, as the the MP just said, one of the things is the anonymity is is often one of the reasons they feel that they can get away with it. But I have to say, some of the stories I've read around cyberbullying, especially around social networking sites, it's not anonymous then, 
but it is an issue about they feel that they're beyond the jurisdiction of the teachers. Because it's on the internet and it's out of school? Certainly. So teachers can monitor a playground, um, you know, quite effectively, but when you're outside, where does the teacher then have the rights? The teachers don't know themselves, Mm. and, and the pupils certainly don't, and they feel that they're empowered, well, this is my own view at my own time, and I think they're unaware of quite how destructive, and I think that was the term used by a previous caller, how destructive that is for the victims. This type of abuse doesn't just affect their professional life. It's, it's becoming personal now, isn't it, as well? Yeah, I, th- I think this is some of the interesting research that we found that, um, you know, 50% of people that was, were being stalked or bullied online and offline had symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. It's, it's a very high-impact um, kind of abuse. And the reason is that now our social and professional lives are so intertwined. You know, if, if you were bullied as a teacher, if you were bullied at school, and I've got to say, I think a little bit went on when I was at school. Oh, hey, listen, I, put my, um, I, I, I did yeah. it. I'm ashamed of what I did, but I did it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but now the problem is the teacher can't leave that in the classroom. You mm. know, they've got a, a network of friends or neighbours. But they don't need to tell them what was going on at school, but now it's all out there because their personal and, and professional lives are so intertwined, it's out there. So that impact on an individual is much worse. They can't leave the problems they're having in the classroom back at work. There, It spills over into their personal lives. We had Dave Mingay from the NUT in earlier on, and he said something that surprised me. I, I didn't think I was this old, but uh, pupils quite often... Uh, they have access to... E- they can email their teachers. They can email questions and they can email projects and work like that. Do you think that there's too much access to teachers? That, 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 I mean, part of the, the, the thing about it when I was at school was you had the teacher from 8.30 till 3.30 and then that was it. Well, you, you're quite right about this new access that people have got. It's to teachers, to celebrities. We can communicate via Twitter and, and, and they'll answer or retweet, you know. Um, so th- what we're getting is these kids... And don't forget, some of these kids... They were not born um, when when Facebook was 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 not around. You know, Facebook's only been around for um, since two thousand and four, so it's quite a new yeah. phenomenon. But some of them, that's all that they'll have known, and they've never been taught how to use this kind of technology. I, 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 there's a, there's a story from the DCSF, the Department for Children, Schools and Families, where they're saying um, police came to investigate a case where a teacher had apparently been asking some of his female students to do inappropriate things on a website. Turned out two boys in the classroom, because they've got access to that facility in the classroom, and what they were doing, that they were posing as the teacher um, just because they didn't like him. Mm. Uh, is, so. is it, very quickly, is there anything the teachers can do? Yes, there is. There is guidance from the Department of Skills, Schools and Families. That's been around for a little while, and they should look at that. But also, and, and the recent survey that, that's prompted all this discussion, um, did say that teachers were not aware about receiving information about protecting yourself online, etc. But there is a safe-to-learn cyberbullying document that's been uh, available and supposed to have been promoted to schools since 2008. So I would recommend that they look at 
um, the Department for Children, Schools and Families, and there will be advice there. Professor, fascinating stuff. Thank you very much. Professor Carsten uh, Maple. He is uh, the head of the National Centre for Cyberstalking, based at the University of Bedfordshire. Well, we're now into the fifth day uh, since a fire broke out in Hertfordshire, which has been causing huge traffic disruption, and it's still alight. The blaze in a wood recycling centre close to the M1 at Junction 8 near St Albans has also left some local people without water as firefighters work around the clock to try and put it out. The responsibility for checking on the centre and making sure it's safe and working within its licence is shared between the Environment Agency and Hertfordshire County Council. Yesterday we heard from the Environment Agency. Well, now we can talk to the Deputy Cabinet Member for the Environment on the County Council, Ian Ray, who joins me in the studio. Good morning, Ian. Good morning. Uh, What are the County Council's responsibilities on a site like this? Well, first of all, the County Council it has to provide planning permission. If an operator wants to operate a site of this size and this site, then it has to apply for planning permission from the County Council. The County Council will take that planning application and will write to anybody with an interest in, in that site. In this case, it would have been, for example, the Environment Agency, and takes views on that. A report will then be written to the Development Control Committee at the County Council, and they will, in, in light of that report, make a decision on whether or not to allow planning permission. Uh, the Environment Agency in this case is a statutory consultee, so they would definitely have been consulted and they would have outlined the, the kinds of conditions that they would like to have seen on the site if it was allowed to run. Well, that, and, and, and restrictions have been imposed, haven't they, over the years? They have been imposed. And they've not been followed? That apparently is the case. I mean, the, the sorts of conditions that we could put on a site like this, and I believe did, were put on in this particular case, were things like the kind of waste that can be accepted, mm-hmm. the height of the stockpiles on the site, hours of operation, dust control measures. Is it right you're in charge of the height and the Environment Agency are in charge of the volume? Um, I can't be that precise, but certainly there is, the, the, the Environment Agency will specify in their response to consultation the kinds of restrictions and conditions they want, and then it's the County Council's responsibility to impose those conditions as part of the planning commission uh, permission this this stack of wood that's that's now on fire was it too high did it break, breach the guidelines apparently it did because uh, a, a condition was actually a breach of condition notice was issued by the county council earlier this year which was not uh, adhered to by the date that they required to reduce the height of the pile when was it issued in august and how long did they have to reduce it they they were required to reduce the height of the pile by the end of august which they didn't apparently do uh, you say apparently don't you know well, a breach of condition notice was served on them, right. uh, and the Environment Agency also separately uh, applied their own enforcement notices on them and withdrew their environmental permits so that they were uh, uh, prevented from bringing any more wood onto the site. But still nothing happened. I mean, it's, it's fine serving notices and, and re- removing permits, but surely more direct action should have been taken. Well, certainly. I mean, we, uh, at the first instance, one asks them to actually comply with a, with a condition, and then you give them a certain amount of time to do that. If they don't do that, then further, cons- further actions can be considered, and the, the County Council and the Environment Agency were in the process of considering what actions to take ne- next. But it's November. Time. If, this, if the, 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 the order was served in August... That's a bit slow, isn't it? Um, well, it's, we don't want to rush into um, a legal action because uh, it's, for one thing, that's a lengthy process in its own right. Yeah. But the, the thing we want to do, first of all, is to try and use persuasion and negotiation to get well, the Well, now you've got the lengthy blow. process of putting a fire out that's causing disruption uh, for it, everyone. That is the case, yes. It, it, there is a fire there, and it's a very large fire uh, because the stockpile was higher than was, re- was required by the condition. So would you say that the council failed the residents? I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it that, that. No, I would say that uh, we, 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 we realised there was a problem, as did the Environment Agency. We took action as soon as we were aware of that, but it takes time to put these, uh, these conditions in place. It takes time to enforce them, and initially we were trying to persuade the operators to conform. But August, September, October, four months later, 
They hadn't done anything. And the county council was in the process of considering its options. Actually. It just seems a very... I mean, considering its options, it just seems a very slow process that has ended in disaster. And if, if, if companies like this um, just know they're going to get a slap wrist and they're going to get told not to do any more and they're going to have their permits taken away, but then there is not going to be, it would seem, any threat of actual legal or financial action then they're, they're free to do what they want. There is that threat. I mean, it's unfair to say there's no such threat. But it's threat. taken four months for, for nothing to be achieved by you. Uh, well, I mean, even a legal process would take a long time, and the outcome can be uncertain. It also, it's also very expensive as well, so if we, that's if the last well, resort. How expensive is this going to be to put out? I can't, I can't say that because I can't say how long it'll go on for, but it will, it will be quite a lot of money, that's true. So you could probably have saved money... I can't say whether we would have saved money by taking legal action earlier. I can't say that because... Surely you have to represent the residents. Mm-hmm. Um, and by saying, well, we, you know, we, we kind of consider legal action, but that takes a long time to go, uh, to, to, to go through. You're not representing the residents because the, the people in the local vicinity are now suffering. But there are people without water. There are people with kids that have to go half a mile up the road to go and have a shower and clean their kids. I agree. It's a very serious problem for the local residents, and the county council is very concerned about them. It's doing its, its best to make life easier for them, but we have to go through a formal process. We cannot take action without going through the necessary steps which will lead us to take the necessary action, and these, unfortunately, takes time. But I still don't quite know. What, what, what firm action have you taken? Um, we've issued a breach of condition notice, which effectively prevents them from adding many more wood to the stockpile, and so have the Environment Agency. So uh, we have effectively closed them down, in, in, in a sense, from carrying on their activities, but there's still the fact that the wood pile is still there and need, needed to be cleared away. Why didn't you serve a notice to ordering them to take the wood pile away if it was too big? If it, if it, it w- contravened the guidelines you'd laid down, then surely you should have made them take it away? Well, the breach of condition notice did require compliance with the height, so it would have asked them to reduce the size of the pile. But they didn't do it? They didn't do it, no. And you're powerless to do anything to make them do that? I'm not saying we're powerless, but it takes time to enforce it through the legal process. How long? I can't, t- I can't give you a, a timescale. Did you start that legal process? Um, it was certainly under consideration. I can't tell you exactly what point it would have been reached. So it was under consideration to make them take it down? It was, under consideration, to, it was under consideration to prosecute them. But there were no steps made towards prosecuting them? Uh, I don't believe that the legal process had started there. There are going to be people at home furious at that aren't they because the, the residents have been saying for a long time this is a disaster waiting to happen and then to find out that the that um your guidelines and your rules have been breached yet you still hadn't started legal process as i say the the initial the first steps are to try and persuade them to do it uh, through negotiation and persuasion but they had they hadn't responded to that so the next step would be the legal process history of fires at this site um, back in 2001, one in 2004. It's a different operator now. But it would appear that the council, if these significant fires are happening every few years, it would appear the council are doing something wrong, aren't they? Well, the, uh, I think the incident you're talking about was in 2002 when there was, a, 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 there was compostable waste, which there was a fire at. Mm. I, I don't know the instance of that, but the, the company that concerned then was actually successfully prosecuted as a result of the fire that took place then. And it's now a different operator, and of course there they were planning conditions to prevent that happening, and those conditions haven't been complied with. Do we know what's caused this fire, how this has started? Um, well, if it's, I mean, certainly 10 years ago it was caused by compostable material getting too hot, but it was too early to say whether that's the case now. Uh, it'll be up to the Environment Agency to carry out a fire investigation, which I'm sure they will do as soon as practically feasible. People are really angry about this and really upset about it, and we've had calls all week from people who've driven past this site and uh, have reported it, local residents who've reported it or, or, or have, were worried that something was going to happen. You've let them down, haven't you? Because you've, by, by not starting the legal process, by, by m- dragging this out over four months and not really achieving anything, you've allowed this fire to happen and you've let down the residents. 
We, as soon as we became aware that there was an issue with a breach of condition, we took action. Uh, unfortunately, the operators did not comply with our requests. So we, Why didn't you take legal action? We will take legal action as soon as all the processes... It's too late now, it's on fire. It, 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 it's on fire now, that's true, and there will be a prosecution, I'm sure, as a result, but we, we need to go through the processes first. If you'd, if, you'd have, if you'd have started this legal action earlier, there's a chance this fire might not have happened. We can't guarantee that because... You can't guarantee it, but there's a chance. There's a strong chance this fire might not have happened and you'd have saved people being without water, you'd have saved all of the efforts of the firefighters who are doing a superb job out there. The only thing that would have prevented the fire would, would have been if the operators had reduced the height of their stockpile to within the condition notice. We can't guarantee they would have done that, even if we'd started a prosecution, until that prosecution was completed. But That's there would have been more of a chance than doing that than... It's, yes, obviously the sooner we act, the, 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 the better the chances, yes. Do you want to say sorry to the residents? I think, uh, I think the residents certainly have good reason to, to feel upset by what's Do you want to apologise to them for letting them down? I don't, I don't accept that we've let them down. We've taken action as quickly as we could in the context that we could... You say that, but then you, you didn't... You haven't taken it as quickly as you could because you didn't start the legal, you didn't start the legal process. You've just said yourself that we, well, we've, we've thought about it. We, we, what we've tried to Boom, do... Boom, you should have been straight in there. We've tried to persuade the operators to conform to the conditions. You that should have started the legal process. Of course they weren't going to, were they? The, the problem with jumping into a legal action is that, first of all, it takes time, Yeah, it costs a lot of money, and the outcome is uncertain. You, right. need, you need to be very careful, you need to get all your evidence. You knew, that, you knew that they'd broken the rules, you knew that they'd gone against, that the, they'd piled it too high, there was too much wood in there, you told them not to do that, you should have started legal action straight away. And this fire, we don't know for sure, but this fire could have been avoided. It could have been avoided if they had conformed with the conditions of the, uh, of the planning permission, that is correct. So you don't, you don't want to apologise to the residents? I'm, I'm sure that the residents are, are very unhappy and I'm sure that they're very badly inconvenienced, but we've acted as quickly as we could within the, within the processes that are available to so us. So just as, as, as spokesman for the council in the studio today, Ian Ray, you're saying you do not want to apologise to the residents? I'm not, what I'm saying is that I'm very concerned about the plight that the residents are in, but okay. I don't think we could have taken any action any quicker. Apart from legal action? We couldn't have taken that quicker because the first step is to persuade the operators... But they, they that, didn't. That, but you're going around in seconds because they would, didn't. That would be a quicker process, to be honest, if, if, if they had conformed with our... But they didn't. They so didn't. as soon as they didn't conform, you gave them the notice well, in August. You, like, I think it's a month's notice or something like that. As soon as they didn't respond to the month's notice, why didn't you take the legal action? Because uh, it takes time to put a legal case together. And it, it's not something you can do immediately. Had someone started putting that legal case to get together? Uh, I, I can't, I can't... I don't know what no. precise processes were going on no. in the County Council. Someone point. had not started putting that legal case together. It, uh, it's very likely they had started. They were certainly started to, to put the, the initial thoughts together. When? In but, September? Immediately after the, uh, that, that month passed? I would imagine so, yes. But you don't know for sure? I'm not in the legal department there, so I can't... Could you find out for us and let us know? I could certainly, uh, we could certainly make sure that you're informed about that, yes. That would be great if you could. Thank you very much. And you don't, you just, just find that you don't want to say sorry to anyone? I'm very concerned about the plight of the residents. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, Ian Ray, who is the uh, Deputy Cabinet Member for the Environment on the County Council. 08459 455 555 is the phone number. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning! Lots coming up in the next half hour of the show, including the 13-year-old pupil who has been banned from growing a moustache to raise money for Movember. Um, more. Oh, do you remember Justin's been talking about this AstroTurf? 21 years since the last uh, match, Luton Town match, was played on the AstroTurf. Um, we are trying to get as much of that pitch back together as we can. 
And it's looking good. It's looking pretty good. We'll have more on that in a bit, and also more on strokes. If you want to give us a call about anything, 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, it's November, and as many of you know, that also means it's Movember. Movember is the month where men try and grow moustaches whilst raising money for prostate cancer. Pretty decent charity, to be honest. Well, a teenager in Dunstable was hoping to do just that until his school told him uh, that he wasn't allowed. Gus Hooker is 13 and has been shaving since he was not Since you were nine, Gus! Pretty much, yeah. Blimey, did you hear that voice as well? That's a surprise. Uh, but his school, the Priory Academy in Dunstable, said no to him growing moustache. Gus is in the studio with his dad, Paul. Morning, gentlemen. Thank you for coming in. Morning. You don't need the <laughs> headphones. Sometimes it confuses things. If you want to have them, you can have you. I like headphones. Gus, I, I like headphones as well. Uh, Gus, are you really 13? Yes, I'm you, you've 13. You've got, you got the, the, the voice of a grown man. Well done, you. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, why did you want to grow the moustache? Well, it was be- because I can and yeah. because... Well, the main reason was because my grandfather recently got over, like, beat cancer last year, I think. Yep. Oh, wow, I'm a genius, I remember <laughs> it. No, and I, because I, I'm, like, 13 and I can grow a moustache, yeah. if I, like, did it, I, I reckon I, I could raise a fair bit. Yeah. So I, I was going to, but then I was told, no, I can't. So you've got personal history with, with cancer in your family. So you've, got, you've instantly got that connection. Yeah. Um, and you thought, you, you saw the gimmick of being a 13-year-old lad growing a moustache. You thought, there's, there's you know, my, my unique selling point, I believe they call it in business these days. I might get a few quid. How, did you start growing it and the school came and said, get rid of that boy? Or did you go and have a chat with them? How, do, how did it work? Well... The big ugly one here, my, my dad... Um, he he uh, is very ugly. It has to, I'm sorry, Paul, he's, he's yeah, got a point. Right, he's yeah. got a point. <laughs> you know, he, he went into the school, like, a couple of days beforehand and, and just, like, to quickly check if I was actually allowed to. Yeah. Because I think he had, like, some ideas about something or other that I, I'm, I'm not really sure about. And, basically, I, I think the school just said no and refused to talk to him. God, I'm uh, listening to you. Uh, you. You're a nice l- young lad. I'm just dreading my boys becoming teenagers. Sorry, I just, <laughs> <laughs> I've, got, I've got ten years until they're your age, and it's just hit me. Uh, Paul, so what happened? You went to the school, I, I pro- I, seemingly thinking you were going to get I the thumbs the up. I school thinking it shouldn't be an issue. I was yep. actually initially wanted to book an appointment to actually sit down and talk to the school so I could discuss, for instance, a Mufti Day. Yeah. Obviously, understanding if they... How, mu- how much is Mufti Day these days? About a pound a pop. Oh, it's 50 pence when I was a kid. Okay, come on. Now... Obviously, I was. I understand if they didn't want him to grow the moustache, that was fine by me. I was asking if we, because I know the school nominate monthly charities. Yeah. If we could nominate November, yeah, if, as a, as an alternative, if we couldn't do one, try and do the other. And on the first contact, I got told a few hours later, no, because he'll be he'll look or look or be be, be different. Oh, we don't want people being different, do we? No, oh, no, we don't want differences. I wasn't Terrible. too happy with the response. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to lie about that, and. Hence, I actually wanted to speak to somebody in person. So I phoned up the next day thinking, OK, leave it in case I've, I've trapped or stood, stood on someone's toes or something. What you're saying is you didn't want to phone up straight away and, and start shouting at someone. No. You wanted a little bit of a breather. Yeah. Well I wanted done. to try and be sensible about it. Don't want to start you. an argument. I've got utmost respect for Priory Academy and yep. the good work they've done with Gus yep. to get him out, out of his laziness. Are, so, you la- are you lazy, Gus? Yes. Yeah, I thought so. Very. I thought so. Yes. And in all due respect, they've done a fantastic job of him. Hence, I didn't want to come over as a ranting, screaming parent yep. who, or a pushy dad 
So I phoned up again the following day asking what the situation was because I wasn't too happy with the response I was given. So you get pretty much the same response again. Which, okay, if, again, no, no, could, could I sit down and speak with you? They wouldn't, it never got, it, I approached it and it never got respo- a response. Mm. So as a result, I took to my blog, had a little rant on there. Yep. Again, not being nasty to the school, trying to be as polite about it as I could. And it finally got to a point where the local press got in touch and ran a story about it on Monday. Can you understand that the school want to maintain... And you look very smart in your uniform. Do that tie-up and don't have a fat knot. Apart from that... I yes, can't believe you stood in fat knots. <laughs> we invented those. <laughs> uh, can, you, can you not understand, though, Paul, that the school want people to look smart and responsible and respectable? Oh, indeed. That's why I was happy to compromise with the school. Hence, I wanted to sit down and talk. So if they weren't happy with a moustache, we could try and find an alternative method to yep. try and do some fundraising. OK, well, listen, we, and, and there is, they have said that people can wear fake moustaches, haven't they, Gus? Is that...? You know, it's a day on the 30th. 30th of November, which I remember. Yes. How does it make you feel, Paul? Your your son's got a deeper voice than you. It's very, very sad. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, we've got got a statement from the school, and I must read this out. Uh, The Priory Academy has a long history of raising money for charities, such as... And they list a few charities. Fundraising is an inclusive activity with all pupils having the opportunity to participate. Whilst the governing body recognises that charities such as Prostate Cancer UK are very worthy, it can only support fundraising activities that are entirely inclusive. In a co-educational school with young children, growing facial hair would not be an activity that many children children will be able to join in with. Whilst the school dress code does not explicitly mention facial, facial hair, it does mention unusual hairstyles and colouring that are contrary to a smart uniform appearance. The school has spoken with the boy concerned, agreeing that all people, pupils in year eight can contribute one pound and attend school on the 30th of November, wearing a false moustache to help raise money and increase awareness for the Movember Foundation. Gus, how do you feel about that? Do you, f- do you feel it's a good compromise? I, re- I reckon it is like a pretty good compromise and also, because I'm, like, organising the whole event, I, I get to, like, throw in random ideas, like, a competition for the best fake moustache. Yeah. Which would be pretty cool, because then you get everyone with, like, giant stupid moustaches. I get to oh, I see what you're, you're going to try and subvert from within. That's the way to do it. That's to subvert from within. Put your headphones on, Paul, because we've got um, uh, Steve Parsons on the line. Morning, Steve. Good morning. Steve. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. You're from the Handlebar Society. Uh, the Handlebar Moustache Club. I'm, uh, please, I apologise for getting that incorrect. <laughs> what do you think when you hear someone like Gus, 13, he wants to grow a moustache? That, that should be encouraged, shouldn't it? Absolutely. Well, certainly from our point of view, we're, we're all in favour of that. We love moustaches and we love November now, because everyone talks tashes the whole time. Why are you so in love with the moustache? Oh, I don't know. I, it's, it's just a bit of fun, really. I, I think the, the whole the whole discussion you're having is a little bit sad because we 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 treat the whole thing as uh, as lots of fun. We have lots of discussions with people. People come up to me in the street and start talking to me. Um, I live in London, actually, um, and you know what they say about Londoners don't talk to anybody on the tube. Well, everyone talks to me because I've got a moustache and it's fun. The moustache is dying out, isn't it, Steve? Why? why? I think it's. Uh, I think it's. I think it's quite nice. I'm, I've always tempted to grow one and then I bottle it at the last minute. Do you know what? I think it was dying out, but it's having a bit of a renaissance at the moment. So, right. our, our club we've been going since 1947 and almost died out sort of in the late 70s, 80s. Yeah. Because um, handlebar moustaches just weren't in. But now, thanks to, well, I think Movember's really helped us, so moustaches are, um, are, are quite in vogue at the moment. We've got more members now than we've had for quite a while. 
Gus, this, this, this gentleman here, Steve, the handlebar moustache, w- would you consider growing something like that? Would you give that a go? It might take a while, but yes, I would. Okay, I'm not encouraging you to break school rules, by the way, I just have to say. Because moustaches are cool. And if I had a massive one, it would just be funny, because it's like a 13-year-old walking down the road it with a massive funny. handlebar moustache. You would look funny. I'd, like, I'd, I'd give I, you some money I for would. charity for that, but you're not doing it, so you're not getting any money. Steve, that's got to excite you, hasn't it? A young man saying that moustaches look cool. Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, actually, I'm not... Uh, Sure, if we really um, aim to be cool, but it's quite, <laughs> quite nice that, that, that youngsters think we're cool. But I, I just one thing you said earlier that, yes. um, uh, regarding uh, why moustaches weren't acceptable for the school the school um, uh, uniform code. Yes. I think um, you said that they needed to be smart, responsible, and respectable. Yes. I think that we oh. regard ourselves as all three of those. Oh, did I, did I upset you with that statement, Steve? Not you, no, no, no. I, I, I apologise if there was any, uh, but but it, 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 does it imply with people like Gus and and with the the, the the advent of Movember, does this mean the tide is turning for the moustache and that it could make a, a serious comeback? Oh, I hope so. Yeah, it's, it's been Movember's been fantastic. You know, there's millions of people around the world growing moustaches, raising tons of money. We've got lots of new members. Um, and, yeah, we were formed on the 1st of April, 1947, so, as you can tell from that date, we don't take ourselves seriously. It's loads of fun, um, and, you know, well, I've got friends all over the world just because I've got a moustache. Steve, is there a website? If people want to come and have a look at your club, is there a website they can go to? Handlebarclub.co.uk. There we go, fantastic. Thank you very much, Steve. Uh, gentlemen, listen, Paul Gus, thank you for coming in. Uh, no listen, it's good that, uh, that there, there's been a compromise. They've not completely outlawed it, that they've said, look, you can have a day and you can raise money and you can raise a few quid for cancer. So that's, that's not bad, Gus. No, that in my eyes, that that's like half a win. So half half a win, Paul. Half a win. Paul, watch me. I'm I'm going to be cool now. I'm going to start yeah. speaking kids' language. Go for it. So, what games are you playing at the moment? I don't play games. <laughs> <laughs> put from within. Are you sure you're not a midget? Because you're, you're you sure you're a 13 year old boy? Uh, you don't play games. You can grow a moustache. You've got a voice sure. deeper than me. Listen, unzip the unzip the um the uh, outfit. I wonder where he's going with that then. Steady on. Listen, Gus. Very nice to meet you. Thank you so much for coming in, and I hope you raise a lot of yeah. money for the charity. Paul, thank you very much. Thank you very well much. done. Thank you. Oh uh, eight four five nine four double five five double five. How strict should schools be about the appearance of their pupils? Do you? What do you think? Do you think that, that this school that is being a little bit miserable, a little bit tight, or do you agree? Go no. Hang on. There is there are uniforms. People should stick to these things. This is exactly what should go on. 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. We've got a couple of emails uh, on this. If you want to email, 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can, of course, get in touch on the Facebook page as well. Um, An email says, a friend of mine, talking about school uniforms. Her daughter wore a skirt and black tights, no problem, until one day she wore a pair uh, of ribbed tights. I don't know what that means. Oh, it says here, these had thin lines down the leg. She was sent home to change them. Surely a pair of tights did not affect her learning, but being sent home, she lost over an hour of lessons. Hmm, a little bit tight uh, and a little bit over the top i think uh, if you go to the facebook page gus you're on the facebook page you're a celebrity facebook.com forward slash bbc 3cr if you go and have a look there there's a picture of gus uh, and you can see what he looks like um oh eight four five nine four double five five double five if you want to give us a, a, a phone call about that or about any of the things that we're talking about this morning. That's kind of the way it works here, is we throw out bits and pieces that we're always happy to get your opinion on. But if there are bits and pieces that you think we should be talking about, that we're not talking about, you can get in touch as well. 
and just say, hey, this, is, this happened down my road the other day. I think you should be covering this. And if it's any good, we will. You can text as well. And uh, Keith in Nebworth has done just that. Councils are useless. This is about the, uh, the council we had in talking about the fire. Councils are useless when it comes to anything like hard work. If you or I never paid our council tax for a month, we get legal, legal action straight away. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. It's twenty-one years since Luton Town played on AstroTurf. The pitch was sold off, and one of the mugs who was stupid enough to spend a tenner on the tiniest, tiniest little bit of fake grass is Justin Dealey. Justin. Oh, Ian. Good morning. That's outrageous what you're saying. Well, it's, it's true. It's a tiny little square of greengrocer's grass, and you I'll paid a tenner it for out. it. It is a piece of history that I touch every single day, and it <laughs> makes me feel good. I hope that's the only thing you touch every single day. Now. <laughs> <laughs> you, we are trying to recreate this pitch, aren't we? 21 mm. years later. Yes, 21 years on. Luton Town played on the AstroTurf from 1985 to 1991. Uh, during those six years, the most successful period in the club's history. So we're trying to get the pitch back together. Now, I come today with an update, yes. and I have both good and bad news. Uh-oh. Let's... Uh, yes. Should we have the good news first? OK, the good news is um, calls coming in all the time. Apparently... Is, is, the, is the AstroTurf hotline um, constantly <laughs> ringing then, Justin? Oh, it's, it's very, very hot. Oh, okay. It's been a, a red hot for the last couple of weeks. <laughs> but uh, apparently we've been tipped off. We've been yeah. tipped off that John Dreyer, oh, yeah. who, is now, who is now the assistant manager at Preston, okay. he used to play for Luton Town. Uh, thank you, yes. At, and uh, he was the penalty taker. Apparently, he has got the penalty spot. Oh! So later, so later, <laughs> You're good, we're yes. going to be phoning John Dreyer. Yeah. Um, his, his family still live in Bedfordshire. So that's the good news. Um, calls coming all the time. The bad news is, you know I mentioned we had about 70% of the pitch. You, this was very exciting because we started off, we had your square. We had one other call from a guy who said, oh, I don't know if I can be bothered to come. Yeah. He was looking bad. And then, <laughs> yes. then you came in, striding around like you own the place. Then you let rip that you had set, you'd located. 75 percent yeah. of the pitch yes well what's happening with well, it well that 70 percent does still exist but um, the astroturf dealer that we're in conversation with he's in cambridge he bought the pitch yes he has got 70 percent of the yes, pitch he's got yes. it in a warehouse oh, oh fantastic but, but uh. he's not quite sure which is the luton town pitch because <laughs> because <laughs> oh, yes. uh, because there were four teams who played with astroturf right, yeah. uh, back in that period there was luton town queen's park rangers preston and oldham yes he has got all of the pitches he went and bought all of them. So, yes, he's got it, but he's not quite sure which is the official Luton Town one. So, if we get him down, we could be playing on the Preston pitch. He, so, he's not... He, he didn't lay... It meant that much to him that he just yes. threw it all together in a warehouse. <laughs> he's put it all together. Um, he's got it in his warehouse. I mean, he, he has got it, to be fair, and he's got a great story, and he said, if I was to come down right. and put the pitch down, it would take three to four days' work to do Justin, that. Justin, it, I'm not interested. That's, I, yeah. I'm, I'm hearing problems. I just want to hear solutions. <laughs> That's your problem. I know. You deal with it. And also, listen, I don't know if you've been reading the papers over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Mm. If not, you may have missed. The BBC is coming in for a right kick in recently. (laughs) Been been one or two scandals. I don't want to be involved in another one. If we're telling people it's the Luton pitch, I want the Luton pitch, not the Preston pitch. Well, this is the way to do it. This is the way to do it. If this gets on the front page of the Daily Mail for the wrong reasons, (laughs) Justin, I I can't afford to lose this job as well. Don't don't worry. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. The easiest way to do this, and I think this is a simple way. Yes. Uh, If the information coming through is true, i.e. 
John Dreyer <laughs> has got the penalty spot. He was the penalty taker. Yes. Let's invite John to Luton. Again, we have agreed a location in principle. More details to come tomorrow. If we can get John down from Preston yeah. with the penalty spot, let's get him to take a penalty because his penalties, for, for anybody who is a football fan, they will know his penalties were slightly unusual. He never took a run-up. He took one step back and Ooh. just kicked the ball. Tough Simple guy. as that. Was he any yeah, good? Yeah, tough guy. Yeah, great player. Great okay. player. So, what, so uh, let me just get this right, Justin. You're saying you're now not going to get... <laughs> seven, I'm just going to make sure I've got this right. You're yeah. not going to get 75% of the football pitch. You're going to get the penalty spot. That's that tiny little spot, yeah? Well, yeah, that, you're that, just that, that tiny get that, spot. Yeah? That's, well, that's we, what we're we, going to get, we, yeah? We, we, we could have a pitch, we could have a pitch, but as, as this man says, he, he's not um, quite sure if it's the official one. Justin, you are you are a, a cruel and vicious man. Speak to you later <laughs> on. <laughs> Thank you, Ian. Can you believe that? He's such a tease. Such a tease. Well, we, we shall follow that story and uh, Justin's uh, fall from grace with, uh, with eagle eyes. Now, having a stroke, as we all know, can be life-threatening. Uh, but as medicine has improved, many people recover to more extent than perhaps they did in the past. Now, stroke survivors in Bedford are being offered a free 10-week programme of one-to-one gym sh- sessions to help them get better. Uh, Nick Vogue uh, had a stroke in 2011. He joins me now. Good morning, Nick. Good morning. And we're joined as well by uh, Nathan Vackelport, who is an instructor at, at the uh, gym in Robinson Pool. Good morning, uh, Nick. Uh, Nathan? Good morning. Nathan, stay there a second. Let me speak to Nick. Nick, what impact did having a stroke have on your life? Oh, it's massive. Uh, it turns your whole life upside down. Can I ask how old were you when it happened? 56. Right, so, so not that old, because a lot of people think, oh, it's an old person's conditions. 56 is no age at all, is it? It's no age, really, no. It was uh, a big surprise. Uh, can I ask, and if this is getting too personal, then just tell me to get knotted. How, how did you know it was happening? What, what were the signs, and, and, and how did it develop? Well, basically, I'd gone into uh, hospital and had a minus day surgery, and because I'd been physically sick, they kept me in overnight, and I was just ready to go home. And I sat in a chair and felt a bit strange, was physically sick, and nurses lifted me onto the bed, and it felt as though your eye was rolling down the side of your face. And... You're very emotional. You, you didn't understand anything that was going on. Must be terrifying. Uh, yeah. Very scary. And how did it affect you physically? Uh, it's affected me physically down the left-hand side because the cells that died were on the right-hand side of my brain. And, and what, to put it bluntly, what can't you do, or what do you struggle doing that y- you, you could do before? Uh, well, it's, you, initially you struggle with everything on the left-hand side. Mm. Uh, you know, to start with, getting dressed, doing all the normal things you used to do, you can't physically do. And you have to, it's almost like trying to learn a lot of things again. Well, Nick, you go to uh, Images Gym at Robinson Pool in Bedford for uh, these sessions. How, how have they helped you? Well, I went on the pilot scheme, and when you go in there, you're not sure what to expect, and the trainers there are superb. Uh, They are great help because they can, because they've been trained at, you know, through the NHS, they know what to look for, and they're great help. You know, you, you start very, very small, and they're, it's one on one, basically. And there's encouragement, 
and they're continually trying to you know develop ways to help you well nick stay there because we're going to speak now to nathan who is an instructor uh, uh, at the gym uh, nathan tell me more about these sessions um, basically, we offer 10 weeks of one-to-one sessions where we work on whatever the, the stroke survivor wants to work on, whether that be hand functionality to get more grip in the hand, or if it's uh, walking more comfortably, we can we can try and help people as much as possible. And of course, strokes, you know, no two strokes are the same. It affects people differently. You're, you're equipped, are you, to, to kind of be able to focus on different areas? Yeah, we are, yeah. I mean, a lot of the stuff we do, as I say, with walking, so it could be using steps. We use uh, vibration plates. Uh, we've got mirror boxes, um, a trap deadlift bar for, for functional deadlifts and stuff. Well, hang on a second. What, what on earth is a vibration plate? Uh, a vibration plate is a, it's a plate where you'd get someone to stand on top of it, and what it does is it sends vibrations up through the body, which makes the muscles contract more than they normally would. So you can use it for, for certain different things. Um, and Nathan, are you no- are you noticing an improvement? They come in for session one, and you know that there's things they can't do. And at the end of ten sessions, is is there a noticeable improvement? Definitely. Um, I mean, after two or three sessions, I've noticed people's legs uh, or people's walking has become a lot better. Really. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's massive, the effect that the exercise can have uh, to, to recover from stroke. And do you give them exercises that they can go off and, and, and do on their own once these sessions are finished? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the exercises can be the very basic things that you can do around the house. Um, uh, a lot of the, the functional du- stuff we do um, it, it includes a lot of stretching. So stretching you can do at home, which will always be a massive help. So it's not just stuff that you can just do at Robinson Pool or the other facilities we've got. Uh, uh, and Nick, you've, you've noticed the change in your ability, have you? Yes, I have. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, uh, when I first went in there, you know, the walking... Uh, felt where the balance you know had gone and uh, the work the other trainer Vince did with me you know was very very good did you go on the vibrating plate I've been on the vibrating plate. is it is it as fun as it sounds uh, it is certainly strange <laughs> it's, it's an experience <laughs> it's, it's strange yes you can tell I haven't been to a gym for a very very long time uh, Nick thank you very much Nathan thank you as well Nathan of course is from Robinson uh, Images Gym at Robinson Pool uh, in Bedford uh, and it's interesting isn't it how just a little bit of kind of physical exercise can disproportionately help thank you for that gentlemen <laughs> This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, here until nine o'clock when Jonathan Vernon Smith will come in and justify why he was so unhappy with the excellent birthday presents I got him yesterday. A toy gun and a 3D picture hologram thing that alternates between cats and dogs. What? Who wouldn't be happy with those? Shameful. We'll be questioning about that later on. Coming up in the last hour of this show, though, teachers are being cyber-bullied by children and their parents. We speak to a rep from a teaching union in three counties who says more needs to be done to tackle the problem. A 13-year-old from Dunstable has been told he can't grow a moustache for November. How strict should schools be about children's appearances? And remember yesterday, we had a call from Karen in Hemel. She was unhappy that bus services have been affected by the big fire in St Albans. Her route wasn't running, and then she was told that the shuttle bus was optional. Anyway, we're going to be speaking to the bus company Arriva to find out why there have been so many problems. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's claimed more teachers are reporting that they're being cyberbullied. 
A helpline set up for people who work with children has told the BBC around a third of its calls are about bullying and teachers are being targeted not just by students but by parents as well. The National Union of Teachers in Luton say pupils have been suspended for abusing teachers. Earlier on, I spoke to Anne Main, MP for St Albans. She used to be a teacher. The difficulty about cyberbullying is the anonymity of, of it. And that, and that is where the power has been shifted, if that's the right way of putting it. And it's not just teaching. MPs have it, and I had it been done to me by, funny enough, some students. And it is horrible that people's place of work suddenly becomes the place that they're being bullied in. And bullying isn't acceptable, whether it's of young people, it's of any worker or any teacher. And I think the best thing would be is to get, if you find out who's doing this, is to get them to do meet their victim so that they are aware of what it's like to, in effect, go in and see a rude message emblazoned over the staff notice board. Because it is the anonymity of these cowards that do it and the, the publicity that they generate for what they want to say without ever being accountable for it. I also spoke to Professor Carsten Maple, the head of the National Centre for Cyberstalking. Teachers can monitor a playground quite effectively, but when you're outside... Where does this teacher then have the rights? The teachers don't know themselves, mm. and, and the pupils certainly don't, and they feel that they're empowered, well, this is my own view at my own time. And I think they're unaware of quite how destructive that is for the victims. Well, Timothy Ramsden is from the NASUWT and says over the past two to three years, it's become more of a concern as teachers are now leaving their jobs because they can't take any more. He joins me now. Good morning, Timothy. Hello. Uh, pupils are going to, to drastic lengths, aren't they, to make teachers' lives hell? Well, some pupils, a small but significant minority, are indulging in this. And uh, the words that are being used by your, your other contributors are quite right. It is a cowardly thing to do. And it's something where I think some of the pupils involved are well aware of the distress they're causing, though I suspect others aren't. Uh, some of the things that, that we've heard about are, are photoshopping, sending out fake emails, even web websites being set up in the names of teachers. Is, is that kind of correlate with what oh, you've yes. been hearing? Yes, absolutely. The, the photoshopping the, the, of, of, of distressing and abusive and, and uh, uh, sometimes obscene images involving the, the faces and heads of teachers. Um, and even, as you say, not, not just uh, attacks by email, but also we have had cases of uh, websites that have been set up with offensive material on in the name of teachers who've known nothing about them until sometimes parents have complained, you know, what's your teacher doing involved with this? And that's the first the teachers heard about it. So some young people have got enough technological savvy to be able to uh, cause, cause a lot of distress. And as, 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 as the MP contributor and, and Fine said, it, it's done with great anonymity. Mm, I think that's, that's, that's the thing that kind of rankles with me with this online yeah. kind of bullying is the anonymity. If you're going to do something, yeah. come out and, you know, be big enough to do it with your face and your name on there. What that's support right. is there, uh, Timothy, for teachers? Well, we would look, first of all, to the employer, to the school, to ensure that they are giving support. And, and we certainly provide support for our members. We've had a, a substantial document on cyberbullying, both explaining the forms it takes and how teachers can guard against it. We've had that available for a couple of years now. But we, it is, of course, the responsibility of the employer. And that, first of all, begins by sort of giving guidance to people working in schools, because it might not just be teachers, it could be teaching assistants, etc., all sorts of people working in schools as to how not to get into the situation. For example, uh, don't take a mobile phone into the classroom and leave it because somebody can get hold of your number and get hold of other contact numbers. 
um, uh, some young people can be very good at sort of just nipping something out, for example, of, of a desk drawer or mm. a phone that's been left in a teacher's handbag, etc. Oh, one sec, man, man if, if the kid's got hold of the, your phone number, that's it. You, game over, isn't it? Well, absolutely. Never give your private email address to, to, to students. Keep a divorce between your private life and private phone numbers and emails and your working life and, and always use a school email address for contact. Um, and so there's that kind of advice, and we would expect all schools to be offering that. The other is that when somebody does suffer this kind of, of, of abuse, and it is very distressing and it attacks people, sometimes in their own home because they take their school laptop home, open it up to do some work and find a, a, an obscene or abusive email, we would look to the school to take firm action if there's a, a, a criminal offence involved, because some of them involve threats of violence, mm. at the, at the worst case, that the police would be informed, and the school would do everything to to stamp down on it as a culture. As I say, it's a small, very small minority of young people who do this. Uh, but it is extremely distressing when it happens. Is there anything that teachers can do to protect themselves? And can the police do anything? I'll tell you why. I, 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 if, if it's done anonymously on Twitter or on Facebook or on emails, there's not really a lot the police can do. I, every, I, as I said earlier on, I've got a, a young chap, and I'm sure it's a young chap, every now, every few months sends me an email saying they're going to shoot me. I've been to the police and they've gone, well, you know, what, what can we do about it? We don't know who this is. So is there anything that can be done? Well, as, as I say, it, it needs reporting to the police just so it has been reported to the police. Mm. Um, the police will only get involved, as I understand, if a criminal offence has been committed. Now, it would then be a matter for lawyers to say whether a threat to kill somebody, for example, or a threat to uh, attack or assault somebody, constituted a legal, uh, a legal offence. I would have thought it would have done. Um, the question as to how what can actually be done about it, as opposed to the fact that it's been reported, is, is another matter. But I think it's right that the, that, that the mm. main focus has to be on the duty of the employer. Now, in the case of a local authority mainstay in school, the school has got the possibility to go and use the health and safety and, and, and other advice of the local authority. In the case of an academy, which is doing all these things on its own, it's up to the academy to mm. ensure that it's got good, strong advice in order to make sure that it can take action. Because, of course, if something were to happen, and there are distressing outcomes of, 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 of some of these cases where there's persistent cyberbullying, um, then... Uh, Clearly, this union would be saying to the employer, have you carried out your uh, your responsibilities under health and safety and well, well-being of your staff and protected that? Um, but I think a lot of, you know, I have to say, a, a number of schools I know have done this, and they have very firm advice, and they would say, for example, never give your personal email address mm. to a student. It might be very helpful at that moment if a student says, I want to email you an essay during the weekend or, or, or the holidays, but don't do it, because once that information is out, it could be passed on, it could be seen by somebody else who would use it for less constructive purposes. Timothy, are you hearing examples of teachers leaving the profession because of bullying? I haven't personally come across anybody who has left the profession because of cyberbullying, but I have come across examples of people who've been extremely alarmed and distressed. Mm. Um, in one case, for example, uh, there was somebody who feared that they might be put on disciplinary procedures for offensive material on a website in their name, which they had no knowledge of, which had been set up by somebody else. Well, incredible. Timothy Ramson from the N-A-S-U-W-T. Why, why do I find it so hard to say a long string of letters? I don't know. Thank you very much for that indeed. 08459 455555. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Let's have a look at the front pages of the paper, shall we? The Independent, Osborne's secret war, <clears throat> excuse me, on the, uh, the PM's green agenda by his own father-in-law. Lord Howe tells undercover activist that Chancellor plans to sabotage coalition's environment policies. The Daily Express, uh, EU wants migrants to take our jobs. It's an outrage. Euro MPs will today call for even looser border controls to encourage a fresh wave of immigration into Europe. And there's a picture of uh, someone from the jungle there. The Daily Telegraph, defence chief attacks forces cuts. And uh, there's pictures of... uh, all this, the, the fires and, and wars going, fear of Gaza war after Israelis kill Hamas leader. The Guardian, Israel kills Hamas chief as uh, it launches new offensive. Um, the Times, five police held over false crime statistics, new challenges facing elected commissioners. Uh, and tax Amazon or it will kill us off, says John Lewis. John Lewis says it could be put out of business if foreign multinationals such as Amazon are allowed to continue paying tiny amounts of tax in Britain. We're all furious, aren't we, that Amazon doesn't pay tax. But then we all order our Christmas presents from Amazon, don't we, because they don't pay tax because they're cheaper. The Mail. Greed of energy sharks. Power firms' profits surge by 38%. Um, And then there's a picture of a girl's back. And The Sun. House spider nearly killed me. A woman told last night how she nearly died after being bitten by a house spider in her suburban UK home. I don't like spiders. I read that story and the picture was just horrible. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. You've seen what happened in the studio. It was nearly, I nearly took the, the radio off air. It's 8.15. It's Thursday, the uh, 15th of November. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. If I can open it. Oh, Jonathan, help me. I can't open the news. Why can't you open the news? What's happened to the news? Can, is, is there anything I can do to help? You can... Um, I'm a trained professional. I, I, I heard you. Let me try again. Hang on. Here's the news. Everyone, uh, calm down. The news is coming. <clears throat> Voting is taking place for the country's first police and crime commissioners. In sport, England captain Stephen Gerrard called Zlatan Ibrahimovic. <laughs> I can never laugh at Catherine Boyle again. <laughs> <laughs> All work here again. Anyway, he scored a goal and it was really good. The, winner, uh, the weather today for beds, hearts and bucks. Mist and fog to start, but getting brighter as the day goes on with a top temperature of 10 degrees. Coming up, do you remember William Lacey from Harpenden? He was on the, the show yesterday. He'd applied for 50 jobs and he had a phone interview yesterday. We'll find out how he got on before 8.30. You don't want to get on the wrong side of him, I'll tell you that. Jonathan Vernon Smith. Oh, <laughs> little song. Listen, song jingles. Couple, cu- couple of things. I'm wearing a JVS top. I love the fact you're wearing a JVS t-shirt. Your, t- your, your team got t-shirts. I'm going to get my team t-shirts. Yeah, Ian Lee t-shirts. Yeah, then we, uh, Team Lee. We rock, it's going to say. But I think yours should have your face on. Yes, it should do. I think so. It's a shame to let that face go to waste. Uh, I enjoyed your show yesterday. I did enjoy your show oh. yesterday, but I was listening through, through tears because I got you to wicked presents for your oh, birthday. Oh, no, I've left it upstairs. Yeah, you've left it upstairs. I'm bring my gun down. Well, you should have brought the gun down. We could have a little put it on my it. desk and everything, so I could uh, bring it down. More disappointingly, the uh, three-dimensional holographic two-image picture I got you of cats or dogs, depending yes. what angle you look from, yes. that's just been discarded in a corner of the office. I did realise yesterday, Ian, that I was very ungrateful on air, uh, uh, and in the photograph taken shortly after being on yes, air. Yes, and and it was very rude. And comments my, past your your staff as my well. My mother didn't bring me up to be that rude, no. and I'd like to apologise to you for being so rude. Away you go. Um, I, I left the beautiful hologram 
Instagram picture that you uh, you bought me. I've left it in the office because it just felt such a shame for me to be the only one to get the enjoyment. Look, look. Where, oh, there's my gun. Thanks very Thank much. Thank you very indeed. much, Team JVS. My, my producer bringing me my gun. Um, so I've left the the picture on the side of the office upstairs just so everybody can enjoy okay. it. Okay, and then you're... So, okay, I see. So you, it's like um, when uh, the Queen Mother was left in state so people could walk past. I don't know if that actually happened with the Queen Mother, but they did it with someone. So that people can the pay pope. their... Res- the Pope. They can pay their respects, they can go and have a look, and then you're going to take it home and put it up on the wall. Not that you did that with the Pope, obviously. Yes, but, but then it would be such a shame because future no, generations of employees be. here wouldn't be able to no. enjoy it. No, I bought the present for you. Right. This lot don't yes, deserve it. it's near it. my desk. Yeah, but it should be near your bed. Near my bed? Yes. I want it above your bed. Oh. So that every time you have... I've got a very large mirror above my bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a little bit of... It came out of my... Up then. That was unpleasant. Did you have a nice birthday, though? Oh, the grumpy a, old sausage. super birthday. Swanky really restaurant did. with Dad, is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He had vouchers. He had vouchers, yeah. <laughs> but do you know what? I'll tell you the story. My, my dad said, he said, I'm going to take you for your birthday. I'm going to take you to, uh, have you ever heard of Rhodes 24? I said, uh, yeah, I've heard of it. He said, it's Jamie Oliver's really nice friend. <laughs> I said, are you sure about that? He said, yeah, yeah I've got a voucher. I've got a voucher. So I'll take you there for your birthday. So I said, OK, nice. So I went to uh, Rhodes 24. Anyway, my dad looked at the menu. His voucher was £150. Oh, blimey, that's some voucher. Yeah. So he's looking at the menu. And, of course, you know, most of the dishes are £150. Yes. So he said, yeah. Yeah, we, we might we might just have a main course. Is that all right? Just a main course. <laughs> oh, bless him! It was lovely though. It was a nice, uh, very nice evening. It was like being in New York up there really? in that tower. Yeah. Well, there were lots of rude Americans shouting abuse at you and telling you to get out of the way. No, the view over. Oh, London. I see the view. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Now, listen. You did go out and do a show yesterday mm. out on the streets of Shefford. Did, did, you, you don't. What was it like meeting people? It was really nice. Okay. I uh, I gave out lots of kisses. I received lots of why you put it whether they wanted them or not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Come here! Yeah, <laughs> Stop him! Stop him! Yeah, it was. It was a bit like that. I chased people through the streets of Shefford to try and kiss them. There was there was a, a, a lovely moment that has caused controversy amongst the the, the BBC, amongst the world, because it got mm. it got tweeted and, and passed around all over the place. Is where you met Nadine Dor- Doris's parliamentary assistant, William. Can I play a bit of it? Yeah, yeah. It, do. Was, it was very awkward. It was really awkward, but it was wonderful. You liked it? I, have a listen, I loved it. What do you think of the fact that she's left you to, in effect, do her job while she's in the jungle, eating bits of animals and, and, and being buried alive? I would certainly not say that she has left me doing her job. She has left me doing my job, which is exactly the same as I always do. So who's do. doing her job, then? <laughs> I am doing my job, which is looking after the constituents. And who's doing her job? I'm not going to no answer one. that. Nobody's doing her job because she's in the jungle. Nobody is the MP for Mid-Bedfordshire. Nadine Dorries is the MP for Mid-Bedfordshire. No, she's not. She's in the jungle mucking around and raising her profile and getting paid £40,000. So who is doing her job? (laughs) Oh, it's so uncomfortable. Was it my um, holographic present that put you in such a grumpy mood? (laughs) Was it? Was that? Was that, Am I the, the cause No, I'll tell you what put me in a grumpy mood. The fact that I was listening to all these people yep. who were saying they felt so let down by their MP. And someone, he's the one who turned up to her to come and defend her. Yep. Uh, you know, he's got to answer the questions. You can't put those questions to Nadine Dory. She's in the jungle. So he came along to stick up for her, and I'm afraid he got it with both barrels. He, uh, you sound even posher on, when you go out and do stuff on the street. Do I? Yeah, you do. You do. I think it's, it suits you. I didn't think you could get any posher, but you, you can. 
Thanks. I, I enjoyed the show. I thought it was brilliant. Well Thank done. Thank you, Ian. Uh, what's on your show today? Coming up on the big phone in today, should you feel guilty if you drink during pregnancy? Uh, it's a controversial topic, whether or not women should drink while they're pregnant, but new research suggests that even small amounts could be harmful to the unborn child. The study found that children whose mothers consumed alcohol during pregnancy had lower IQ scores when they were eight compared to youngsters who weren't exposed to any alcohol in the womb. There are still women who do drink while they're pregnant, but should they feel guilty? With all of the evidence that's out there, should they feel very guilty if they drink during pregnancy? Or perhaps you have drunk during pregnancy yourself, your children are absolutely fine. This idea of uh, children having a lower IQ score, mm. I wonder if there are any women listening who have children who are grown up now, they drank during pregnancy and their children are now top scientists or lawyers or doctors. Top scientists? Yes. <laughs> 08459. As opposed to, to medium scientists, top scientists. <laughs> 08459 455 555. Perhaps your son or daughter's on the verge of inventing the cure for cancer, and you had a couple of Pinot Grigios while you were pregnant with them. I'd love to hear from you after nine. Or should women really feel very guilty if they drink during pregnancy? Are they taking unnecessary risks? It's the big phone in from nine. I right, look forward to listening to it. Give us, give us one more burst of your gun. You are such a kid. <laughs> Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, yesterday, uh, we reported on the story that young job seekers are struggling to find employment, and we spoke to William Lacey from Harpenden. Uh, William graduated in June with a degree in politics, and since then he's applied for 50 jobs. Still hasn't bagged a full-time career. He was supposed to come into the studio yesterday. I was furious when I found out he wasn't coming in. Furious! I was throwing chairs and tables around like there was no tomorrow. And then it turned out he couldn't come in, because he had actually had an excellent reason. The excuse was he had a job interview on the phone at five to nine. Well, he's on the line now. We can find out how it happened. Morning, William. Morning. I wasn't really f- furious. I was, I, was, I was crying inside, but I wasn't furious. You, your, your phone interview was booked for five to nine. How prompt were they? Uh, completely prompt. They oh. could be a couple of minutes early. Oh, they, oh, they were trying to catch you off guard. Oh, uh, maybe, maybe. How, what, without giving into too much details, what kind of job is it? What area is it? It's in a bank, actually. Okay, how, how, did, how did it go? Well, the bank has, um, it has its, um, it has customers that work for companies as well as uh, just people on the high street. Yeah. So I would have been working for, working for them. Right. So I'll be sort of going to the sort of companies and saying, you know, well, Barclays Bank, this is what we can offer you. Or, or, or whatever bank it may have been, of course, yes. That's just to name one example, yes. Oh, indeed, yes. Of course, it could have been any bank, yes. Could have been any bank, but I would go along and say, this is what we can offer, uh, or, you know, what would you like, and then I'd go back to the bank and say, well, this is what we need to get together for them. Yes. And it's called client coverage. And, and what, well, you sold it to me, but how did, how did the interview go? Did you think, did you do well? Yeah, it's hard oh. to tell on the phone. Oh. Because I couldn't, I couldn't see her, could I? Oh, but, um, that's the but trick. It, it, seemed, it, it seemed all right. It was very strange. On the one hand, I was very nervous because it was an interview and, yeah. and you know, all the different things around that. But on the other hand, I was also sitting in my living room and I wasn't wearing any socks. So oh, it William! A, it, was, it was a bit of a juxtaposition. You really. can't. You should have dressed up smart and had your best outfit on. Well, a bit of a strange. Sitting around in your pants, watching Jeremy <laughs> Kyle while you take a job interview. <laughs> I wasn't watching Jeremy Kyle. Okay, it was good. all quiet. The doors were closed. Windows were closed. But no socks on. But, but no socks on. No. Uh, so, do, do they, how long does it go on for these phone interviews? It went on for about half an hour. Oh. And did <laughs> they? Was she, did, did they kind of do that thing as well? Where they ask about your personal life and what 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 hobbies you like doing? Yes. 
yes, or they, now they talk about competencies. So they say, tell us about the time when you showed this competency. Oh, for goodness sakes. I'm so glad I don't... Well, hopefully I'll never have to apply for a job <laughs> as, I, as I ride the gravy train that is the BBC. Uh, at, at the end, they don't say... You know, they don't give you any indication or anything. Um, no, no, they said that they're going to get back to me within two days, so maybe today or tomorrow, so okay. quick. But they should, after every question, I think no matter what I would have said, she would have said, thank you for that. Ooh. And then goes on, so it, it kind of felt a little bit mechanical as well. They're good. They're good. Well, that's you know that's that's the system, I guess. William, listen, I wish you the best of luck. Send us a little email. Let us know uh, what what happens. Oh yeah, we'll do. Thank you very Thanks much. You there we go. Isn't that exciting? You see, I think he would have done it right. He sounds very grounded. He sounds very sensible. Very... He wasn't wearing socks though. There, there's no need for that, young man. That, that, that broken Britain. That's what that is. That's broken Britain right there. He's one step away from standing outside a supermarket drinking those alco pops. Which I've heard so much about. He's not, of course. Excellent stuff, William. Thank you very much. Best of luck. I hope that all works out for you. Last 30 minutes of the show, if you want to give us a call about anything, you can. 08459 555555. Can I ask about the strictness of school uniforms in your school that your, your kids go to? Or maybe the school that you went to? Do you think they're a little bit too heavy-handed? They were quite strict. I, me- I remember um, strange haircuts were frowned upon. My friend Malcolm Richmond had a terrible haircut. It was really short. They said, it's too short. Sort it out. Well, how do you sort out a really short haircut? Well, you, c- you couldn't get hair extensions. They hadn't been invented when I was at school. Get that. That's how old I am. Tell me about, give us a quick call. Tell me about your, either your school uniform when you were at school or if you've got your children who go to school now. Is it too strict or do you enjoy the strictness of it? And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Radio. <laughs> Did you hear the panic in her voice then? She means nine o'clock, of course. She, she, she's having a tough time. We'll, we'll go gentle on her. Uh, in the last half an hour of the show, before eight o'clock, nine o'clock, a danceable teenager has been told he can't grow a moustache for November. Well, we've sent our reporter, Justin Dealey, to his school. And in the meantime, I want to hear from you. How strict was your school about uniform? 08459 455 555. And find out why the bus services have been affected by the big fire in St Albans. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's November. To some people, November exists no more. It's Movember. It's the month where men try and grow moustaches whilst raising money for prostate cancer. Pretty decent charity, you would think. A teenager in Dunstable was hoping to do just that until his school told him he wasn't allowed. Gus Hooker is 13 and he's been shaving since he was nine. But his school, the Priory Academy in Dunstable, said no to him growing moustache. I had a chat with him uh, a a little bit earlier on. The main reason was because my grandfather recently got over uh, cancer last year, I think. Because I'm like... 13 and I can grow a moustache yeah. if I like, did it I, I reckon I, I could raise a fair bit Yeah. so I, I was going to but then I was told no I can't so you've got personal history with, with cancer in your family so you've, got, you've instantly got that connection Yeah. Um, and you thought you, you, you saw the gimmick of being a 13 year old lad growing a moustache you thought there's, there's you know, my, my unique selling point I believe they call it in business these days I might get a few quid How, did you start growing it and the school came and said get rid of that boy or did you go and have a chat with them how did, how did it work the big ugly one here my, my dad um he, he is very ugly it has he, to, i'm sorry paul he's, he's yeah, got a point he's got a point he, he went into the school like 
a couple of days beforehand and, and just like to quickly check if I was actually allowed to. Yeah. Basically, I, I think the school just said no and refused to talk to him. It turns out I sound dead common on recordings. I know in real life I don't, but when, when it, somehow when it's recorded and played back, I sound very common. Well, you can see pictures of Gus on Facebook and Twitter. Yes, that deep-voiced young gentleman is 13 years old. If you go to uh, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR or at BBC3CR. Joining me now is Jeanette Wallace from the Good Schools Guide. Good morning, Jeanette. Good morning. You've been asking parents on Twitter what they think about this. What, what's been the consensus? It's been quite evenly split, yes and no. I think um, just uh, just this morning there's a, f- a few people more saying, yes, he should be allowed to do it, but it's pretty evenly split. How strict do you think schools should be about children's uh, appearance? Um, I think it depends on the school uh, in question. I think these sorts of things, without knowing this, uh, in more about the school, it, it's hard to say. But the people who, um, you know, replied on Twitter did make some interesting points. Mm. Um, one person said uh, they had a child at an independent school, and they said they had very, you know, they do have strict uniform rules, but they bend the rules for Movember. Um, someone else said that, um, you know, Sikhs, um, they, they, they uh, are uh, barred from removing any facial hair by their religion and so that sort of settled the question and in schools everybody you know should be able to grow facial hair it shouldn't be an issue at all um someone else said there's something called november which is um raising cash for mcmillan cancer by not growing a mustache so Ooh. that would be an alternative it's, it's called it's, november i've heard of that yes <laughs> well no hyphen vember oh i but, see right um, yes, yes. Um, and then someone else said that they disagreed with the school, but they, but they even more didn't agree with the boy's father complaining to the school about it. Um, you know, if that was the school rules, that's the school rules, and, and that's it. So, um, you know, and, and we also had a, a headmaster of a school uh, reply saying that the whole point of uniform is that everyone should look the same, um, especially with this mustache issue. Some boys would, you know, can, some can't, and it could lead to teasing, um, and it could encourage macho posturing rather Macho than Macho posturing just because you've got <laughs> a, a, a moustache for a month? Well, that was just, you know, one of the views that was expressed. So a range of views there and a few suggestions that, that, that could be useful. Is there a difference between the, the, things like facial hair, which is natural and which is what happens, and piercings, which is what you go and make a decision to do? Um, I think there is. I think that's a fair point. Um, but this is different. This is still making the decision to, mm. to, to, to do something. I mean, one thing that we see every year, um, it always comes up, is there will be a girl who dyes her hair red uh, for Red Nose yeah, uh, well, no, oh, yeah. Day. Again, it's to raise money and it's some sort of thing. And she goes to school with the red hair and the school sends her home or, or, or what have you. Uh, and that always, there's always a story in the press about that each year. Um, you know, and again, it's sort of evenly split. People say it's the fun day when children are allowed to dress up for school why can't she you know dye her hair red especially for a good cause and others will say no the school rules are school rules if you know if you let one person break them then then you know the the floodgates are open uh, Jeanette, listen, thank you very much. That's fascinating. There was a, a split of opinion on Twitter. Jeanette Wallace from the Good Schools Guide. Well, we have a statement from the school. The Priory Academy has told us that whilst the school dress code does not explicitly mention facial hair, it does mention unusual hairstyles and colouring that 
are contrary to a smart uniform appearance. However, the school has already spoken with the boy concerned, agreeing that all pupils in Year 8 can contribute £1 and attend school on the 30th of November wearing a false moustache to help raise money and increase awareness for the Movember Foundation. Well, we've sent our uh, uh, moustache correspondent, Justin Dealey, to the school, and you're there now, are you, Justin? I am, and of course, Ian, I had a beard a few weeks ago, which, which I know that you thoroughly enjoyed, didn't oh, you? I thought, I, thought it looked, I'm, I thought it looked cracking. I'm toying with the yeah. idea of growing one myself at the moment. Oh, do it, do it, Ian. I might do, but, yeah. Yeah, as you say, I'm outside the school. Uh, Gus is back with us. He's got the deepest voice I've ever known for a 13-year-old child. Uh, incredible. Also, Megan Hurd is with us. Megan is 12 years old. Uh, Megan's parents are given permission for her to be live on the radio this morning. You are disgusted by this, aren't you? Tell us why. Because uh, Gus's granddad just got over cancer last year, and um, um, and Gus like really wanted to do this for him. And I know that um, that school wouldn't let us because apparently it's like just like having a f- funky hairdo and mm. Gus was like really upset and so was his dad you're not happy what about your friends no uh, I don't think none of us are happy because we all wanted Gus to do it because we were all gonna like sponsor him and stuff and then the school would let him do it and then Gus got like quite upset and so did his dad I mean you're quite upset about this because you just think the school the, the, the school are being a bit pathetic really don't yeah. you because it is for charity it's not like he's doing it for fun mm. I mean, in saying that, the school have got a compromise saying that everyone can wear a fake tash and raise yeah. money. Is that a good compromise? Mm, yeah, but we could have done that as well as Gus doing it. Yeah. So. Yeah. And looking to the future, apparently you want to be a lawyer. <laughs> Is this correct? Sort of. I just like shouting at people. So. <laughs> there you go, no. you like shouting at people. Uh, Gus is with us again now. Uh, Gus, the, the school bell's about to go any second now. I mean, you've heard there from Megan, she was saying, OK, it's an OK compromise for the school to say you can wear your fake tash and raise a pound, but they could have done that and you could have had your tash as well. I know. My, my dad was like speaking to them originally, like, try, trying to arrange something around it, but they just pretty much re- refused to speak to him like every time he tried to. Mm. I mean, had the school said to you, just lastly, had the school said to you, if you were to grow a beard, let's just say for a week, like I was a few weeks ago, I grew a beard, I went into work. If you grew a beard and you went into school, would they actually send you home then? I don't think they actually can, but they might try. Because I I remember my dad saying something about, because some religions have to grow a moustache, so there's, yeah, like Sikhs and stuff. So it, it, if, like, a Sikh came to the school and had to grow a moustache, what, what would they do about that? Let's not get involved in religion this morning, guys. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, the school bell's about to go. You better get in there. OK, have a good day at school. Take Justin, care. Justin, you, you, you've met these young people. Don't put ideas in their head about growing beards to test yeah. the system. You're going to get us in trouble. <laughs> no, no, no. We've got, we've got some parents that are here as well. Madam, can you come across for us just for a second? No, <laughs> no chance, she's saying. But um, some of the parents I spoke to earlier on were saying, well, it just seem, does seem a bit weird. I mean, they're, they're saying it's weird on two fronts. A, a 13-year-old child can grow a moustache. I mean, well, when I was at school, that right. there was certainly never a 13-year-old child with a moustache. But also, right. if he wants to do it, he wants to raise money for charity, why shouldn't he be allowed to do that? <laughs> right, listen, I've sat through this all morning, all this nonsense. Can I just clear one thing up, right? Yeah. It's not moustache. Why does everyone say moustache? <laughs> what mo- is it, then? It's moustache. That's a moustache to me. Yeah, well, th- Rolls no... off the tongue nicely. Come on, it's a moustache. It's, it's, there's no moo in it, and it's the emphasis is on... T- so it's moustache, moustache... It's a moustache. In actual fact, uh, this man has walked up to the radio car, so you're live in three counties. We're talking about a 13-year-old child who goes to this school. You know all about the story. You're nodding. Should he be allowed to grow a tash for charity? 
Not a school, no. You also do it in the summer holidays, fine, but school rules are school rules and that's it. Really? Yes. You're quite strict, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> Ask him to pronounce the word, Justin. Can you say moustache or moustache? How do you pronounce it? Moustache. Moustache, OK. Thank you very much, sir. I'll tell you what, this man looks hard as well. I'm not going to miss. I'll take your word for it. You'll get the right pronunciation from Mr Vernon Smith later on, no doubt. (laughs) There you go, he's a listener. There we go. Apparently I'll get the right pronunciation from JBS, but um, you've heard there from some of the kids and the parents as well. Justin, thank you very much indeed. It's moustache and it's pronunciation as well. If we're going to be pedantic, it's pronunciation. (laughs) I do like it when you get complaints about your pronunciation. Yes, it's pronunciation. Thank you very much, Justin, and thank you very much, sir, for coming on. We, we will ask... I think Justin's big phone-in at nine o'clock is how do you pronounce... Uh, what's the proper name for the bit of hair that grows above uh, your, your top lip? It's moustache. All this moustache nonsense, for goodness sakes. Get a grip, can't you? It's obvious. 08459 555555 is the telephone number. I, have you ever grown a moustache? I did it once... I had a beard for a bit, uh, and then I shaved it off and had a moustache, and I went, I was working at another, uh, in another life uh, at a radio station late at night, and I got the bus in, uh, and I kept my face hidden for the whole time. I was so embarrassed at having the moustache. I was embarrassed. So I covered my face. I'd like to be able to carry one off. They were big, weren't they, in the 70s? All of my dad's friends had moustaches. Gracie is from Stevenage. Good morning. Oh, it's Gracie! Yes, it's Strictly Gracie. Yes. Why? Listen, why aren't you at school for goodness' sakes? Because my school oh. is shut for. Oh, it's shut. Oh, okay, it's shut for for elections that we can't talk about. Okay, excellent stuff. So you you managed to get the day off school, which is good for yeah. you. Uh, what do you think about this young lad trying to grow a moustache? I think it's fine. I'm do it if it's for charity. Then yeah. Do you think? How strict is your school on on your uniform? Well, they're strict, but they're not that strict. Well, hang on a minute. Because, you, you, yeah. you, 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 this is an oxymoron. They're strict, but they're not that strict. Are, are they um, strict or not strict? Well, they're strict. Because, um, you have to have your skirt up on your knee or lower than your knee, and it Good. has to be grey. Good. What, what's the rest um, of the uniform? Describe the rest of it to me. Um, uh, burgundy cardigan. Ooh, okay, yeah. This is a good colour, and, um, basic... Do you, um, Gracie, do you feel smart when you're wearing your uniform? Yeah, do you I'm feel, quite proud of it. Do you, I was about to say, do you feel proud of your school when you're wearing your uniform? Yeah. And that's what it's all about. Maybe you're right, maybe there should be. You know, we should all adhere to it a little bit more. But you think it's okay for this young lad to grow a moustache if he wants? Mm. Thanks very much, Gracie. Oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, I think she got distracted. I think she saw a bright colour or a dancer. That's one of our Strictly Come Dancing reporters. By the way, if you are a young person, 10 or under, or you know a young person, 10 or under, who wants to join our ever-growing pool of Strictly Come Dancing correspondents, could you get in touch with us? We're looking for more people. A boy would be great. I know it's pushing it a little bit, but we'd love a boy. But it can be a girl or anything. As long as you're 10 or under, send us an email, 3cr at bbc.co.uk. Just put in the subject, Ian Lee, Strictly Come Dancing, um, and uh, we will get back to you and have a chat about that. We're now into the fifth day since a fire broke out in Hertfordshire, which has caused a huge traffic disruption. The blaze in a wood recycling centre close to the M1 at Junction 8 near St Albans has also left local people without water as firefighters work around the clock to try and put it out. Yesterday, Karen from Hemel rang to tell us her story about her nightmare journey from Hemel to St Albans caused by the fire. 
on Monday, you know, because of this fire going on, went to get a bus um, Monday morning, and um, obviously I didn't realise that the fire, you know, that the roads were blocked, and the bus took a particular, a different route than it normally does. Yep. It went Redbourne way. Then I realised what was happening, that there was something going on. I got a return ticket, so I got off at Colney Heath Lane and went to work, and then got back on at the bus stop to get back on the bus on, on my way back to Hemel, and the bus driver said, I'm not going back to Hemel, Hempstead. Sorry? I was like, pardon? He said, I'm not going to Hemel, Hempstead, do you get off to get off in town, St Albans Town Centre? I'm like, I think you can't him, how can I return my journey? And he said, well, apparently, apparently there's a, a shuttle bus. Cut a long story short, waited an hour and ten minutes. No shuttle bus was going to Hemel, Hempstead. Every bus that came along said they were terminating at King Harry Lane. And I had to get a taxi with five other people to get to get home that evening. Yesterday, my daughter went to get the very same bus, went to the bus stop an hour early, just in case there was a shuttle bus, which never turned up. Yep. She paid £15 to get into St Albans. And her colleague rang the bus company and they said that the shuttle bus was optional. Well, joining us now is Lindsay Frostick from the bus company Arriva. Morning, Lindsay. Good morning. Uh, You've heard what happened there. Uh, How do you respond to that? Um, Well, obviously the closure has caused disruption for everybody who's kind of travelling in that area, and buses are no exception. Um, As When the road was closed, um, basically there's two services which run between Hemel and Stevenage, and they obviously go via St Albans. That's the 300-301 service. Um, Some of the buses operate out of our Stevenage depot, and some of the buses operate out of our Hemel depot so we were faced with a situation with not being able to get all the way across other than sitting in huge delays or trying to work out which was the best kind of diversionary route to take Um, so when the road closure continued we decided that actually it would be easier and um, probably the most sensible route to go from Stevenage to St Albans and the buses have to finish there so they can turn around and offer some level of service for that end of the route and the buses from Hemel would do Hemel to St Albans. Um, we were hoping we could try and get a some sort of shuttle bus to link the two services together, but with the increase in traffic around Hemel and things like that, that just wasn't possible. So, so passengers were, were, were stuck? Um, there was. I mean, you could link. Obviously, buses were going back and across. They just weren't going across. But, you know, that's one of the... I imagine the whole manner of things that have gone wrong with the part of the road closure. It would appear, Karen was saying that incorrect information was given to her when she was told that a shuttle, uh, the the shuttle bus was Yeah, and I think what drivers were trying depots were trying to try and link the things up and things just weren't working out and obviously the situation was moving all the time Um, by yesterday we were allowed through and we're still allowed through at the moment as long as the wind doesn't change obviously it's an exceptional circumstance which, you know, there's no planning for and it's trying to make the best of a bad situation. Yeah, It just seems a bit unfair that Karen had to wait an hour and 15 minutes oh, only to totally. find out there was no bus. Well, I, I, I totally agree, and I hopefully, hopefully she has been in contact with our customer service department just to get some clarification on that. She had to, She bought a return ticket and, yeah. and had to get a cab. How does she go about getting her money back? She needs to just contact our customer service department, as I said. I mean, obviously we can do something for her. It is an exceptional circumstance. Obviously, there is major disruption to all of our services in and around the area, and, and people are going to have to bear with us a bit, as as, as everyone is probably expecting yeah. to do so, really. But she can get in touch and get yeah, that, she get that money. Yeah, certainly get in touch Brilliant. with us, yeah. Uh, and her daughter had to pay £15 for a journey to St Albans. Will she, will she be able to get any of that back? Um, we wouldn't necessarily always cover a taxi in these situations. Again, contact our customer service team when we can see what happens, why what no bus turned up. I can't understand why no bus turned up if she was at the Himmel end. Um, 
But, you know, if they're sitting in traffic in St Albans, there's not a lot we can do. But if they contact us, then we we, we will look into it. We're not... But you don't know why that bus didn't turn up? Off the top of my head, no. I I was only aware of Karen's issues prior to coming on. So, yeah. Uh, Okay. And have you got the the, the service details up on the website or something? Can people check what buses are running and when they're running? Well, it's only the two services affected, the 300-301. Obviously, the traffic is heavier around the area, so that affects all services. Um, But they are running through... Is there information on the website? Yes, but they are running through today. As long as the wind doesn't change and the road's not closed at a moment's notice, then we hope to remain normal service. Lindsay, thanks for coming on. Okay, There we go. Lindsay Frostick uh, from the bus company Arriva. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, AstroTurf update, AstroTurf update, AstroTurf update. Listen, this is the story that's got you gripped. Well, it's got Justin Daly gripped, anyway. 21 years since Luton Town played on AstroTurf. The pitch was ripped up, sold off, and replaced with God's finest grass. And it's JD's mission to track down the entire pitch. Well, it was his mission to track down the entire pitch and relay it. Now he's kind of wimping out, going, well, I might, I, listen, girls, I might just get the, the penalty spot. I might, I, I, a penalty spot, girls, all right? That's what he's aiming for. <clears throat> we should have a the firm talk with him later on. Well, Darren from Luton paid the BBC Three Counties uh, luxury office suite a visit yesterday. He joins me on the line now. Good morning, Darren. Hiya. Darren, what, what, did, you, what did you drop off at uh, BBC Three Counties Radio? I dropped off a very small little box piece of the plastic pitch. How big was this tiny little box? Darren? Darren? Oh, my God, Darren's just dropped off. We've been sabotaged. Someone's sabotaging us. What is going on? Is this, is this Watford? Are they getting involved? Are they trying to, to ruin this? Someone somewhere is trying to ruin this. It's not me, Justin. I, I, listen, I don't want you to lose your job because you've, you've promised things that can't be there. Darren, are you back? No, uh, Darren, are you back there? Yes, I'm back. What on earth happened there, man? I don't know, mate. <laughs> OK, this is getting very, very spooky. So you dropped off a tiny little bit. Did you pay a tenner for it as well? No, actually, I, I did want a bit, but I was only a child at the time when the pitch got pulled up, and I actually found a bit at a car boot sale, because <laughs> I do collect... I collect a few programmes that I right. used to when I was younger. Yeah. How much did you pay for it at a car boot sale? Oh, uh, it was probably something like £3 or £5. <laughs> Justin paid a tenner for it, and he reckons it's going up in value! <laughs> what a plum! OK, yeah. so you got it... When, when you saw it at a car boot sale, you must have been rubbing your hands with glee. Yes, I was, actually. Uh, I, was, I held a bit of pitch, and I thought about all the players that had played there. Because back at, back at the time that we had that pitch, we were a top-flight side. So players from Manchester United, Liverpool, they would have played on that pitch alongside our great players. Do you, do you clutch it to your chest? <laughs> no, not that. But okay. It did have a little bit of sand in it, which they used to chuck a lot of sand on the pitch back in the day. Uh, and how, how long have you been a fan of the team for? Since um, mid-'80s. Right. Are you excited about Justin's plan to try and get as much of this pitch as, as possible? I think it's a good idea. Yeah. I'd like to see other different legends of Mick Harford coming down, though. <laughs> why, <laughs> why don't you want Mick? Because uh, he's joined um, MK Dons, and obviously we oh. don't like Luton Town fans don't like MK Dons. Are you are you saying he's a traitor to the cause? It's just um, it's just um, MK Dons. It's a completely different. Kettle of fish. I don't okay. want to talk about them, really. Oh, hey, listen, I don't <laughs> listen. I don't want to tread. I'm only just finding out now about this rivalry and this hatred for the MK Dons. Darren, listen, I appreciate you coming in uh, and dropping off that, and we will see. Uh, we'll see what we can do with this astroturf. 
Um, we've got an email. If you want to email at any point, uh, three, I've got the bizarre sight of having the windows cleaned while I'm doing the show. Good morning, window cleaners. How lovely to see you. Look at that. Isn't that fantastic? You see? Uh, 3CR at bbc.co.uk is if uh, you want to get in touch at any point, even when we're off air. Talking about the young lad, Gus, that wanted to grow a moustache for Movember and was not allowed. Uh, sorry, but rules are rules. Sometimes in a child's life, they have to learn <clears throat> that rules are there to follow. Many children have no boundaries at all, so adhering to some rules and some time in your life is not a bad thing. Why question? Just abide by the rules. Let the boy's father grow a moustache, says Gina Nailsbury. Well, the debate rages on. Is it moustache or is it moustache? As everybody else has decided to, to pronounce on this show. Maybe Jonathan Vernon-Smith will give us a clear answer. That's it. That's your lot. Back tomorrow at six. Stick around, though. JVS is up next. Ta-ta. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian.